Dr. Jekyll. I tell you, I tell you, I'm Dr. Jekyll. I'm Dr. Henry Jekyll. Cinematic Fantastic. Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. I'll show you who I am and what I am. Beaten by a werewolf and lives, becomes a werewolf himself. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Hello and welcome to the Cinematic Fantastic Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Weatherford. And your other host, William Weatherford. Get ready for opinions, dad jokes, and bad jokes. As we watch and review sci-fi and fantasy films from the classics of yesteryear to the new favorites of today. It's time to get out of your hiding holes, because today we're doing Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 1941. Wait, did you say Jekyll? Yes. Yeah, you have to say Jekyll, because this movie does not call him Jekyll, it calls him Jekyll. Uh, in the 1931, they, they, they say Jekyll this and Jekyll that, like a treacle. Like a true person, <laughs> exactly. This is the 1941 version of the story of, of Dr. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And, um, oh, sorry, by the way, welcome to Mac Fantastic. Yeah, hi, welcome. We're rearranging things just a little bit here. Uh, uniquely, this movie is a remake of the 1931 film, which uh, we haven't done a remake before. We've done sequels, but we haven't done a remake. That's interesting. Uh, and as such, most of the plot discussion for this episode is going to mostly be comparison. The, pl- the plot will be what the plot will be when we do the plot. This time, uh, we're going to go over some production history. Uh, I've done some uh, work and researching. Yep. And so you want to get started? Yeah, absolutely. Yep, indeed. So... Definitely one thing to say is it's a pretty good film. Uh, the director for this, uh, Victor Fleming, uh, was also the director of Gone with the Wind and The Wizard of Oz. It's in good hands, uh, but there'll always be that comparison in any remake that is just, it's just a core of anything. That you go like, oh, this thing is remaking another thing. How does it compare to the original? Like, what is the original better? Did this, like, desecrate the original permanently? Is it banished to the ends of time? Because it's that good or that bad, you don't know. Yeah, well, the the other thing is too is is how much new ground did it did it break in the story? You know, what are some things in which uh, you know some good things that it did? Honestly, your opinion may be different, but I think it was it spent longer on certain sequences. It took longer to get where uh, the 1930s version just blazed on through, and it it felt like it was, you know, it, it even though. It got all the different plot points that this movie did. It did it at a, at a kind of a, a little bit zippier pace. I, I did like the makeup better in the first one, even though I understand where they were going, what they were going for with this movie. But uh, yeah, Ruben Mamoulian, uh, the director of the last one, was indeed a lot better at pacing than this movie is. Uh, more drawn out, of course. Victor Fleming uh, really wanted that. I guess, but both of them would share the same plot, basically, because 1941 is remaking the 1931 version, which came out a decade earlier, and the 1931 version is based off of, mostly off of the stage adaptation of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's true, that's true, and some of the elements that were in the 1930s version uh, were not in the original novel, uh, namely Ivy was, uh, Champagne Ivy is what I'm going to call her, in the first, uh, you know, in the 30s one. She was, she, and also the wife of, of Dr. Jekyll or Jekyll or whatever. 
um, she was not part of the the filming either. It was part of the stage version, I think, and that's what carried over. Yes, the both of them sort of sprouted from the first movie going like, hey, we take this and add a bit of this clay. So there's a bit of an elephant to the room. If you haven't uh, listened to our original, the one where we did the original version of this in our first season, don't click off yet. Uh, I will restate the information here. As we discussed in our previous episode on Jekyll and Hyde, similar to what happened with The Old Dark House, uh, 1932, this movie, upon MGM requiring the rights, was hid away to avoid competition by burning all the negatives, all of the copies of the film. And it made that film considered lost for at least 20, 30 years. They buried it, man. And because Paramount did not own the rights... If they ever wanted to show even the copies that they did have from previous distribution, they would encounter legal issues because, of course, they did not own the rights. And MGM did these scummy things a lot around this era. Um, For instance, there was a movie called Gaslight, which was remade in 1944. And the only reason we have that uh, original one is because the director managed to shepherd a negative uh, that he had personally and slip it back in the archive under their noses. So if he had not had his own copy of it, then we wouldn't even have that film. They would have been successful in burying it forever with an inferior version. Right. It doesn't seem that some of these companies, these production companies or, or film studios, that they had like this, This they they seem like they, they can only see as far as their nose or their face. They they can only see like five months ahead or a year ahead. They didn't see a world in which classic movies could be viewed by anybody on streaming now. Exactly. They didn't care about, you know, keeping these uh, historical documentations, you know, restored and available and kept safe in saves, you know. And like instead, they really cared about, you know, this is going to compete with our previous, uh, with our film. We're going to go like, we're not even going to go, hey, advertise this film as it's so much better than that last movie. Instead, it'll be the only one that they think about. They go like, hey, you remember that Dr. Jekyll movie? Oh, it was sure great. They go look it up on uh, Google and they go, oh, 1941, I'll click that. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't have Google, but. Right, right. The, the, yeah, they could do that now. But, well, it's the same thing that, that the BBC did. If uh, I, I don't know if I remember telling you this, but BBC did burn a lot of their TV shows, especially Doctor Who was the infamous one due to uh, space. They didn't have the space. To They're keep like, we don't have the room. Are you kidding me? Get a new warehouse. Put Doctor Who, old Doctor Who stuff in there. It was more expensive. And yeah. like what BBC is like this. How much could they spend on like storing old oh, B- stuff? BBC comes from, ta- from tax distributing money. Distributing stuff. It comes from the people. It's kind of like yeah, it's it's public yeah, like, funded. Like, like well, yeah, like PBS does that, but this is way more high high value to be honest. And probably the taxes are huge in in England. Uh, some people are like, I don't like the BBC. Do I still have to pay? <laughs> you know. But but the thing is now, I bet you the BBC are kicking themselves, going, man, you know, we you know we we put out these DVDs of of Doctor Who episodes from back in the you know fifties and sixties and seventies eighties. You know, but there's some of those ones uh, from the I guess the 60s, I don't remember what Doctor it was, but they're missing a lot of those episodes. People had to recreate them. They had the sound. the first Doctor, a lot of the second Doctor. Yes. And I think the third Doctor is where we have a lot more. Yeah, we have, we have, we have a lot more of the third. Yeah, uh, from, we, we, we're getting off off topic, but we're, we're in the same world. Um, it, it shows that they weren't thinking very far ahead. A lot of these companies weren't. A lot of these companies think, oh, this is old trash that we're going to get rid of and replace with the newer stuff. 
We made our money. We we made we made the money. We made the money. We can't really do anything better than that. So there's gonna na- a name I'm gonna bring up briefly. I'm gonna name. Uh, I'm going to elaborate on this name later, which is Catherine Hepburn. Yes. Uh, in relation to Spencer Tracy, I will elaborate on who she is later. Uh, so even though he had not met Catherine Hepburn personally yet, Spencer Tracy wanted her to play both of the women in this picture. Ivy um, and as you said, uh, Ivy Beatrice. and Beatrice in this picture. So the parallels may be drawn that they're the exact same person, apparently. Yeah, and that's very that's a very interesting take on it, but he also I to be honest, I believe he had a thing for Katherine Hepburn, both uh, professionally and personally. He would not know her personally yet though. Uh and as I will discuss is the history of Spencer Tracy, right. uh, how Katherine Hepburn is introduced into that. Uh, I love speaking Catherine of the two Hepburn. ladies, She's also great. Ingrid Bergman and Lana Turner, the two actors for them, beautiful actors, as you said, uh, were originally swapped from their current roles as Ivy is the, you know, the the one that Hyde looks for, the evil-ish side. Versus She's B, more low-class. Yes, versus B, which is the high-class uh, good person, basically, the good Quote lady. Quote-unquote, yeah. Uh, they're originally swapped from the current roles until Bergman, not wanting to be typecasted into the good type, uh, which she often was, she pleaded that they switch roles. And so they're like, okay, we'll do a screen test, see if you actually do good as Ivy, and she did. It worked, yeah. And uh, I will tell you that that her, she 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 does her best to kind of pull off a kind of the, the British kind of accent, and she does okay with it, but, you know, she does have a European accent. She always has. That's been, like... One of the things that you would recognize about her when she would speak, you'd be like, "Oh, yeah." I will say that in the original movie, Miriam Hopkins was much more iconic. Yeah, yeah, and and she did play the whole Cockney, you know, oi, she had champagne Ivy, you know, she had the, she had that kind of that low class way. She of was talking. recognizable at a, at a glance, and also from if she was speaking off screen, you'd go like, "Oh, that I know who you are." Because of her, you know, unique one and only, which yeah. is what unique means. And then it, it, it was hard. It was hard for me to see Ingrid Bergman as playing this role, even though she did a great job. I think she did a great job on it. But it was hard for me to watch her in this role because all the roles I've seen her in, yeah, she was like the the leading lady. She was never like completely evil. If she was a femme fatale in like a noir movie, okay, I get it. But and we'll talk more about that uh, when we get to her yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Now, again, as we discussed in our 1931 episode in season one, uh, Ivy was invented in that movie, and uh, but in this movie, she was definitely watered down, as well as a lot of the elements in this movie, comparative to the previous movie, uh, because of the Hayes Codes introduction, which would limit, you know, a bunch of things. Like this one uh, company, would monolithic company, would control all movies and go like, hey, this is way too hard for children. Uh, th- we can't let this. You have to tone it down. Uh, everything, anything and everything had to go by it, and they were harsher than uh, than they are now, nowadays, is the MPA. Also, another thing that Spencer Tracy originally wanted for this movie, he originally wanted a realistic approach whereby Jekyll would commit violent deeds in a neighborhood where he was unknown after drinking alcohol and using substances. So basically, the transformation is I get drunk, and I go punch ladies, and that's the whole transformation. I guess it wasn't. It, it it sort of makes sense slightly on paper, but I don't know. Well, th- let's put it this way. Okay, think, it's a think rough a- idea. Well, think about this though. There is kind of a parallel if you think about it, because it's like man who is good drinks something, and then now he's his his inhibitions are gone, and he's 
punching ladies and beating people with a cane. And I feel like hide in this movie, <laughs> hide in this movie is definitely more along those lines feeling than is in the first movie. But he was disappointed that the producers, instead of making, uh, of course, new ideas for this film, they wanted to remake the earlier film instead because that movie's ideas were proven to work. And after all, you want to go, uh, I don't want to invent something new, and it's risky. You don't know if people are going to, you know, hook onto this idea. They go like, I don't know about what this kind of movie would be like. And instead, they're like, okay, we're going to do what works. And that often is in the industry. They often do that, recycle that, what absolutely. works. That's absolutely true. But producers, a lot of times you'll, you'll, you'll wonder why a movie, why, why remakes are constantly being made, live action remakes, whatever. Is there going... Well, the first, the, the other one did well. It's a gamble. Nobody yes, likes to gamble. Disney and Disney subsidiaries, they do that a lot. They don't want to gamble with the new properties. They don't get as much money as The Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid, three three words that win you all the Oscars and all the boogie bucks. So let's get on to the reception of this movie. This movie was Oscar nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing, and Best Movie, uh, Best Music Slash Scoring. It wasn't Best Actor, and it wasn't be- – <laughs> I think didn't Frederick March win for Best Actor? Um, yes. But uh, I think that uh, they first thought that maybe uh, Spencer Tracy was too old to to play this part here in this. I think he was like he was like 41, and Frederick March was much younger when he played Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah, funnily enough, he was born at the turn of the uh, of the thousands, the turn of the century or whatever. Oh, the 19 – yeah, 1900s. 1900, exactly. It's funny. Anyway, right, right, right. This movie earned $2,351,000, resulting in a profit of $350,000. They had a $1 million budget, so that was pretty sweet. It was okay, did okay um, at the box office. Pretty good. um, After Spencer Tracy saw his performance, though, he thought his career was over. Yes, while this film was a commercial success, it wasn't really a critical success, and Spencer Tracy later said it was by far the least favorite film that he ever did. Uh, mm-hmm. They are starred in, and his performance was awful. And honestly, it is not really. I mean, he, all, he, I don't. I hate to say this. I, I, I said this while we were watching the movie. But I in don't the think previous movie like, he didn't pull off the British accent. He was telling, he sounded really American, and he, he didn't. He, he doesn't. He sounded like a tough. He sounded like kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. I could say so. But in the previous movie, like the performance of March really expressed his you know desires and the uh, the theme of sin that goes about. Uh, in this movie, we talked about that uh, in the original, uh, the 1931 Jekyll and Hyde episode. Uh, in this movie, they didn't really do that at all, and he sort of... This Hyde really isn't monstrous or out of control, as was in the 1931 movie. This Hyde seems like just some revolting, creepo, drunk dude, I Yeah, guess. he does. Yeah, absolutely. It was more similar to the book character, I'll give you that, but not... It's it's really just this, you know, it, it just if a dude gets drunk and then... He goes out in the town and do, well doesn't shower for weeks and, and doesn't uh, and shower gets, for weeks. Gets crusty, uh, crusty uh, under his eyes. Yeah, that's what he looked like to me. And it had bad teeth. That's that's it. What they were trying to do in this movie, though, I think, and they said so. I think a little bit in some of the making of stuff, they were saying that they wanted it to look like like he could look like any person that you might meet. At, uh, you know that that their evil wasn't necessarily out on their face. It was. Yeah, they inside. were trying I to show. It. They were trying to show in this movie that, that the mind should be the sign of corruptness and not physical transformation. I Got get it. that, but they, they really did get across the same, you know, sin elements, for lack of a better word, and ex- the expressions of it. But they don't really voice them because of the code, which is 
interesting. Yes, yes. And also the other, the other, well. So it's like, I sort of get the same, like, you can watch these two movies, and even though, like, the words might be different because of the code, uh, or they don't say a lot of the things, it does get across the same sort of point. You sort of get what who these characters are, or at least um, are in comparison to the previous movie. I will tell you, there's, there's, okay, there's two elements that I found interesting. One of them was, this movie starts off with a, a tip of the hat to religion. It's actually in a church that this movie starts. And they give little tips of the hat to religion, just like the, the the original version. But they don't go into full, they don't lean into it. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about how this affects that movie later. And uh, I'd like to see some of the reviews that newspapers gave this movie at the time. Okay. Uh, so after a preview in July, uh, they got early access to this film, I guess. Uh, Variety, uh, we've talked about this magazine a lot. Yes. Uh, saw some weaknesses in the character development and situations hmm. in this movie. I don't, situations, I don't know. Uh, but we're overall very p- positive. They said it would be one of the big ones for fall release. Uh, the review is, Tracy plays the dual roles with conviction. His transformations from the young physician to the demonic Mr. Hyde are brought together with considerably less alterations in face and stature than audience might expect. Uh, of course, referring to John Barrymore yeah. and Frederick March, the two actors behind the 1931 version, and the further 1921 or 2 version, I believe. Yeah, they, they, they all, which they, I haven't bo- seen. They, it's silent, they, though. It's interesting. You can, we can easily find it. It's online. But but they, they did twist their bodies and their faces up, contortions uh, and makeup, a lot more than uh, than than, uh, than Spencer Tracy did. Yes, like the Frederick March Hyde, like the March Ugh. Hyde, which sounds like the March hair, funnily enough. <laughs> I'm going to call him the March Hyde. From now, there but the there March Hyde, it, it, he looks very simian. Yes, he does. Yeah, almost, almost like it's a, it's a primeval. In this movie, as um, I said, he looks like creepo drunk dude. Anyway, yeah, guy who hasn't had any sleep. Continuing, likely to happen when the new Jekyll moves into general distribution after September first is more generous recognition of Ingrid Bergman as a screen actress of exceptional ability. In yeah, every she was, scene she in which was the two appear, in her roles, yeah. is Tracy's equal as a strong screen personality. And uh, the New York Times described it uh, famously or infamously as not so much evil incarnate as ham rampant, more ludicrous <laughs> than dreadful. Yeah. They did not like it that much. Like, the, these newspapers, man, the way they phrase things. Uh, the film daily praised it mostly for the direction of this movie, such as Fleming's pacing and staging of the story and described his handling as flawless. As I said, Robert Mamoulian's, uh, or Robert Mamoulian's, I don't know. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're doing, Rulin, you're doing, you're doing okay. Ruben, Ruben Mamoulian's, Ruben, uh, yeah, Ruben Mamoulian's, the director of the previous movie. His pacing was a lot better. Although I could say the direction of the movie is this is pretty solid, especially with the dude who did, you know, the Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. For goodness sakes, the cinematography is well. The cinematography I believe deserved definitely. The music is okay. I don't really remember a lot of the scores because there's actually some parts where they avoid a score. If I remember correctly. Yeah, in terms of the cinematography, there were some interesting angles. Like, it along with some the sets. Shat- shadowing and lighting of the I like the, those scenes of Hyde spreading through these long Victorian streets that are yes. just iconic now for this That's very nice. Hyde. And, uh, very of course, Jack in this the, movie, of the, the of the human hides, it really emphasized the famous image uh, of a man in a black cape, uh, cane, and top hat. Mm-hmm. And uh, obviously having an abnormal head, the March Hyde, couldn't wear the hat, at least to the potential of this famous silhouette, in my opinion. 
He tried. <laughs> he tried, definitely, but, like, this... It wouldn't stay on, Like, probably. this, he, the image of the human with this crazy face, top hat, and a cane, and cape looking thing, this British outfit sprinting across these Victorian streets, really in this movie shines as, like, more of what you'd think of Hyde as, at least in that element that wasn't really done in the previous movie. He was more like walking and, you know, like, uh, like glancing well, around he, he would, like he an would, animal in the previous he movie. He was. He would, like, hunch down almost like monkey-like, you know, an animal-like. You're right. Beast, beast, beast man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the bestial behavior and awareness that uh, the movie in this Hyde doesn't really have that sort of adds to the character more of Hyde in the previous movie, which is why I like him a bit more in Yeah, I, I did like And also it was more daring, too. It was w- willing to, to talk about things like, you know, perdition. And, and you know, I'm going, you know, he's like, I, I feel the fires of hell on me. And, and he's begging, when he's begging... Uh, his wife uh, to take it back. I'm mean, talking about the 1931 version or whatever. Um, they didn't really do a lot of that here, but and the, the other the other thing is is where how the first one ends is with the fires. You know, you can see the fire. Uh, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, okay. In terms of uh, the the budget and the and you know the critical reception stuff, there's definitely bigger budget and production value in this movie. Uh, the MGM has. Uh, but the previous movie had a lot going for it that the, this movie doesn't really have. Really, better tra- better transformation sequences. I mean, they're they're the transformation sequences are like shocking to see. Yeah, in, in like 31. the sets in the we're starting to go a bit more in comparison. Sets have Sorry. been expanded in this movie. Sound quality was better. Yes. There's amazing lighting compared to the 1930s. Just this glossiness that's like in the 1940s. For like some reason, they just did so much better. Uh, yep. It's got a it's Frank Waxman score. When it was there, obviously, Frank uh, Waxman, by the way, he did the scores for Bride of Frankenstein mm-hmm. and therefore the 1930s Flash Gordons that apparently, uh, apparently because they used its music, uh, interestingly enough, 1938's yes. Christmas Carol, Sunset Boulevard, Rear, uh, rear Window by mm-hmm. um, uh, Alfred Hitchcock. Alfred Hitchcock, right. He is a, I would consider him a great classic movie composer alongside, yes. you know, people like Max Steiner, uh, who did King Kong score. And Eric Korngold, who's yes. the inspiration of John Williams, yes. uh, I would definitely say. Uh, the film Daily praised it mostly. The general public, however, uh, in comparison to these magazines, was a bit more mixed about this one. Contemporary fantasy magazine Hollywood says, uh, in the ten years that have elapsed since March won his Oscar for his work of the title roles, moviegoers have become too sophisticated for the sort of medical hocus-pocus on which the Stevenson story is based. Uh, Robert Louis Stevenson is the author of The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the book that's the origin They didn't think it was realistic this. enough? They, they were like, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll buy a magic Yeah, moviegoers are too sophisticated for medical hocus-pocus mm. on which the Stevenson story is based. Too many Frankensteins and bogeymen have stalked across the screen in the interim for Mr. Hyde to be a convincing monster. While Spencer Tracy does a grand job in his dual role, his Mr. Hyde is inclined to be more humorous than terrifying. I will give you that. I guess. I don't no. He was he was creepy, but I, I would not say humorous. I would never say humorous about the about his performance. He 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 looks unhinged. He looks like he could do some damage. But I do think I, I'm not going to you know say that's a bad thing. Yeah, he did kind of ham it up a little bit, but I'm not going to say humorous. As in, I laughed at at Hyde. I he was he was threatening. I I agree. Yeah, definitely. Uh, while uh, the March Hyde's makeup and performance is hard to beat, Tracy's Hyde is still threatening somewhat. Although I could say, of course, the 1931 Hyde is a bit more threatening because you know, of course, he's got this animalistic behavior and awareness. 
you don't know what he's going to really do. I don't know if, if anybody was as bad as the. I, I mean, we, we say the director was a really good director, but I th- I wonder if this was a thing back in the day that um, the the ladies, uh, Ingrid Bergman and Lana Turner, had a hard time shedding tears during certain scenes. So he would like grab their arm hard or give them a slap. Um, That's I what guess I that made more sense, but I'll probably get to they, a bit they more of that later. That. Uh, of course, the makeup, uh, as we've been talking about, this height is more humanoid, big teeth, like big regular teeth. Like if you've seen Jim Carrey as the mask, he has big teeth, <laughs> sort of like that. Um, that movie honestly looks really crazy. Like everything is cartoony. I don't understand how on earth they could have done that before Toy Story came out or near Toy Story came out. My goodness. Anyway, uh, wrinkles around the eyes, a fake nose, scraggly eyebrows, crazy gelled hair, uh, which is interesting. It's crazy, but it looks like gelled. It's like gleaning. He looks more uh, like Jekyll than Hyde in the original movie. In the original movie, uh, a point is you never really wondered why Ivy didn't recognize him off the bat. In this movie, uh, since he looks more humanoid, you're sort of like, oh, uh, why why wouldn't she recognize him off the bat? He just looks like a drunk Jekyll. Yeah, he kind of he kind of he does kind of look still little still look like Jekyll a little bit. So you're like, wait a minute, yeah. And so yeah, but more humorous than terrifying yeah. was where we left off. A similar magazine, Modern Screen, called the oddest picture of the year. They said it was funniest when apparently is trying to be most serious and never so routine as when it is trying hardest to be different. That resonates in me, man. Anyway, um, right. This movie is 58% Rotten Tomatoes, average rating 6.6 out of 10. Audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, however, scored 61%, average 3.5 out of 5 based on 2,500 responses. And uh, interestingly enough, Warner Brothers released a Blu-ray version of this movie May of last year. Uh, interestingly enough, it's relatively recent. Yeah, I wonder if this was like, you know, uh, for a little bit, these some of these movies started kind of, they wouldn't spend as much money on them. Uh, because, because I mean, this movie did have some definite, uh, uh, this movie has some definite money behind it. This movie had, like, lots more money thrown into, like, the sets and the presentation. Yeah, but, but I, I think that... But what that, are you wondering about the money? Well, well, because about a couple months after this movie comes out, the bombing of Pearl Harbor, it's uh, the beginning of World War II. So everybody has this idea, this Captain America mindset, this patriotic thing. And so a lot more, you know, uh, movies would that, that did spend money would be more war, you know, war based or, or have be war adjacent. For a little bit during World War II, I think you started seeing, you know, less less of these, you know, period pieces and more opulently done things like like uh, Dr. Jekyll and so Mr. Hyde. So you were worried that since this is three months away from the bombing of Pearl Harbor in Hawaii, that you are worrying that about the money, uh, about, you know... No, no, future movies after this. I mean, they spent... Oh, they, you're bringing this up because we're in 1941. Yes, yes, they, they put money into it, and that's fine, but I think that... I would they, have mentioned it much later, but, eh, well, it's a fact in life, so... it's Yeah, it's around that time, yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, uh, more comparisons um, that I have here. It, the first movie is more honest about how sinful people affect the world around them. Like, Ivy in the original movie is more justified in her feelings of escape and death than Ivy in this movie is. And right. uh, you were saying she couldn't make tears? Well, I was saying, like, her performance was weaker in general, but, like, I mean, it's probably, if it's that weak, then you probably couldn't make tears, but where? Um, elaborating on this point, Miriam Hopkins, uh, who's the actor for Ivy in the original movie, uh, plays this with much more desperation in general 
Yes. In this scene they're referring to when she's crying out to Jekyll to help her against Hyde. More desperation in general than Ingrid Bergman does. Having a reason to do so, uh, as Ingrid's Ivy does not really. In Bergman's defense, she was probably more used to being the good girl type. That was her typecast. Yeah. And as you said, uh, more prone to smile than to cry. So, well, there was emotional moments, you know, even in Casablanca, you know, because you th- you think you're going to lose the love of your life, you know, you're like, oh, the, you know, I'll never see them again, and, and that that's where the, that's where tears come in. But I think that that when you are, th- <laughs> I guess you know, if you don't feel threatened by Spencer Tracy and in. in in whacked out makeup then uh, you're gonna have to kind of go okay wow you just threw around casablanca just like that you just threw that in there hey you didn't even stop to go like hey by the way she's in casablanca really extremely great movie humphrey bogart go see it it's actually i think it like is it a 1942 movie it was around it was 1940 oh i i I hate to yeah i hate to mention it and oh it was 42 so uh sorry Uh, (laughs) that's a future movie she's gonna be in so, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I, I had thought that she... No, had... don't apologize. I'm just saying, like, you sort of threw that in there, and then we have to go, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, you know, I'm about to talk about that, actually. Let's start okay. talking okay. about the actors. Let's just contracted actors to MGM, interestingly enough. Let's start with Spencer Tracy. Okay. Uh, he is pretty famous. Well, he was perfect for internalized and repressed emotion and anger, uh, especially in 1936's Fury. Uh, which was directed by Fritz Lang, uh, our director old, our, of our old M. friend Fritz Lang, yeah. old friend Fritz Lang from Germany, uh, director of M. It was a really great, well done movie. It, it's in our Cinematic Classics Month, which covers like the, some of the best movies around in in you know of all time. So yep, of the maybe gold, go the, check that out after of this, this is over. gold golden era. Yes. but yeah, internalized and repressed emotion and anger. Uh, was really what they could go like, oh, maybe we should get this. Dude. That's probably the reason that they got this dude. Uh, so born on April fifth, nineteen hundred. It'd been funny if he was born on April first, nineteen hundred. So it's like April wow. Fool's. You were born directly in nineteen hundred. Anyway, nice in Wisconsin. Spencer Tracy began his career in the theater, uh, honing his craft and perfecting his skills in various stage productions. That's all. That's a lot of people started that way. A lot of people go, oh, they started on Broadway. Yeah, we're going to talk about. We've theater, been yeah. talking about a lot. We're going like, oh, they're on Broadway, and then they went to movies, and that's it. <laughs> that's the general scheme. Right. But, some people have more to their story than that, and Spencer Tracy is one of them. Uh, Tracy's exceptional talent caught the attention of Hollywood scouts, leading to his transition from the stage to the silver screen in the early 1930s. And Tracy's breakthrough, uh, of course, which they recognized him from, uh, came from his portrayal of Manuel Fidello in the 1930 film The Last Mile. Uh, and then, I would say, in Up the River with Humphrey Bogart, where he'd get contracted to Fox Films. Uh, his acting as Manuel uh, showcased Tracy's understated yet powerful acting style and marked the beginning of a remarkable career that would see him earn nine Oscar nominations, which was an unmatched record at the time. Uh, so as I said, understated yet powerful acting style, uh, yeah. internalized and repressed emotion and anger is really the key points. He's a, yeah, he's, he was a big star at the time. And, 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 and he got huge. to a big star. And his status would be uh, further cemented, particularly in films like uh, State of the Union, uh, 1948, and uh, we talked about this in our Invisible Woman episode. It's a mad, 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 mad world, 1963. Yeah, uh, which that's is a that, that... good, pretty great comedy film. I would, I, I would, I want to actually see uh, how good it is. It's, it's, it's a, it's, a, it's a kooky, mad, mad 
It's a <laughs> Mad, 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 Mad world that they live in. A Mad, 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 Mad movie. Well, it, it, it's 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 kind of like they're headed somewhere to, to kind of... It's, it's a bunch of actors with cameos and, and cuckoo nuts scenes. Yeah. Wasn't there like a sequel or like a sequel they had in the plans called It's a Mad, 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 Mad... Mad World with like an extra Mad. I don't know. That I, would make, I don't know. That how would many make a lot of sense if they were doing it today. Just add a Mad every time. There was a, a movie called Rat Race, which was a, a homage to this kind of movie, um, where it had just a bunch of different actors thrown into crazy situation on a cross country race to do something. Um, where they go like, oh, we're gonna have um, uh, the guy who plays ah, shoot the guy who plays uh, John Wick. Oh, Keanu, Re- Keanu Reeves. We'll put Keanu Reeves. Dwayne Johnson and an old Boris Karloff all in a mixing pot and see what happens. Yes, and you give them kooky characters and they all have some goal that intertwines and they have to get something. Although that would that would make that that would make Keanu Reeves and Dwayne Johnson really young to be in nineteen sixty. Yeah, we get it. We get it. So yeah, I I honestly think those those movies. The thing that their claim to fame was that they had all these actors in it and. Oh, you know, a cast of hundreds, you know, and I'm like, I, to be honest, All they, your favorite they, don't Im- they don't impress me very much. They seem very by the numbers, you know, here's a joke, there's a joke, you know, jokes, you know, coming, you know, fast and furious, so to speak. But yeah, it's, I, you, you're welcome to find it somewhere, but I'm, I don't know. <laughs> okay, that's your opinion on it's a mad, 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 mad world. Awesome. So, probably Tracy's most famous matchup would be with Katherine Hepburn. A nine-movie matchup uh, starting with Woman of the Year, 1942, which earned Tracy his first Academy Award for Best Actor. And, uh, of course, him and Katherine Hepburn would stick together like... Um, Peas and carrots. Peanut butter well, and no, jelly. Not the... <laughs> they were... They, you hey, could they, say they, that, but I was going to say... They were not married. Uh, they, the, the they musical... never... Who, who was the musical people? The music per- musical person. What, Rodgers and Hammerstein? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet? I don't know. I don't know. Um. Well, it was a movie from P- Peter Laurie was in it, and P- yeah, Peter Laurie was in it. Um. Let me see. Like Humphrey Bogart and no. It was a comedy film. I have no idea what you're talking about. Uh, Arsenic and Old Lace, which had uh Bing. They would stick together like Bing Crosby and the other dude, Danny Kay. What was the the guy and the girl mashup, which was... Yeah, I guess you could say peas and carrots. Peas and carrots, carrots and peas, uh, peanut butter and jelly. They they had a long-standing relationship. I don't think they ever got married. It was kind of a, a open secret that they had a, had that long-term relationship going. Um, they stayed together for like 20 years, man. Like up until his death. She, he, he, had, he was married before in like the 30s. And he got separated, which is kind of like what you do before a divorce. But I don't think he actually officially got divorced from that wife he got separated from. Yeah, we'll talk about slight spoilers because uh, I'm about to talk about some of that. Again, uh, Woman of the Year earned his first Academy Award for Best Actor. Others to note are Adam's Rib, 1949, and Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, 1967, which would be his last movie, completed 17 days before he died due to heart attack. And uh, as we talked about in our previous Jekyll uh, and Hyde episode, Frederick Marsh and Spencer Tracy uh, were both together in Inherit the Wind, uh, which is yes. their attorneys in a battle in the matter of teaching evolution in schools. Yeah, the, the Scopes tr- monkey trial, yep. Yeah, the Scopes monkey trial. Yep. Oh, yeah, that, that's that's a very famous role for him. Uh, that that was that got him uh, a lot of acclaim. 
uh, William Jennings Bryan, I think, was one of the characters in it. But uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I a, a lot of those quote screwball comedies that we mentioned. Catherine Hepburn is is in quite a few of those. Um, it's that she has that transatlantic accent. You know, she's a a a, a very distinct looking lady, and and very you know. You know, she you just can't keep your eyes off her. You're, she's gonna she's gonna she has a, a very interesting way about her and she commands the screen. The, and a lot of those movies had this rap like I said but when we talked to Invisible Woman, we talked about screwball comedies. It has this rapid fire uh uh speaking style. Um I think I put a list of some of the best ones on the blog. I think I put that up up on there and it and, and quite a few of those have, have Spencer Tracy and uh and Catherine Hepburn. One of those was a libeled lady, libeled lady. I think was was had Spencer Tracy in, and that was a screwball comedy. And that, but he did not. He was not in that with, uh, uh, with Catherine Hepburn. I think he was with somebody else. I think in libeled lady. I can't remember who it was. But yeah, he was really good at that kind of thing. But I'm wondering if this kind of movie he wanted to. Oh yeah, yeah. Myr- Myrna Loy, Jean Harlow, William Powell. Yep. Uh, yeah, Myr- Myrna Loy was a big star at the time. Um, you know, she was very well known, um, kind of going into that. Yeah. And William Powell, uh, he, William Powell would get a lot of work, uh, out of, out of his roles. Um, he, you know, I, I've seen him in his name mentioned a lot of movies. Okay. Let's talk about Ingrid Bergman. Yes. Uh, she was a very influential star. She started her career training as an actress at the Royal Dramatic Theater in Stockholm. Uh, she's Swedish. Her early work in Swedish films garnered attention and praise, but it was a role in Intermezzo, 1936, directed by Swedish director Gustav Molander, that truly showcased her talent and uh, brought her into the limelight. Uh, she would then be the girl lead in the timeless Casablanca, as we said, alongside Humphrey Bogart. Uh, she was in the 1944 remake of Gaslight. What comes around comes around again. <laughs> yes. Bergman's personal life was not without controversy, though. Uh, her decision to leave her husband and daughter in Sweden to pursue a relationship with Italian director Roberto Rossellini uh, caused a scandal in the U.S., and she persevered despite uh, the backlash in her career taking a dip because of it. She did eventually make a triumphant return with the 1956 film uh, Anastasia, uh, reinstating her career. Obviously not the animated one, I wouldn't think, uh, that came out in 1956. It's what the animated one's probably based off of, yeah. Um, next, let's talk about Lana Turner as Beatrice Emery in this film. Uh, one of the high-pay actresses in the U.S., 1940s, uh, a big star in the 1940s for MGM. Uh, she was born in Ohio in 1921. Her childhood was full of strife and adversity due to divorce, but being eyed in a local drugstore by the publisher of The Hollywood Reporter for a beauty, uh, they did a screen test, and she contracted herself to MGM. Alongside with this movie, she really made herself out as that classic femme fatale in such movies as The Postman Always Rings Twice, 1946, and Paid in Place. Uh, for which she was nominated Best Actress. Uh, talking personal life, she had a newsworthy, uh, she had newsworthy tumultuous relationships, mm-hmm. highly publicized marriages and divorces. Her daughter was killed by her boyfriend in '58, which caused a wrongful death lawsuit of seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a whole fiasco. Uh, but she did co-star with Sean Connery in Another Time, Another Place at the same time. But it gave blaster, uh, lackluster proceeds and critical reviews, so it couldn't help there. But Sean Connery, a young Sean Connery, who would Sean Connery be? Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. Yes, and James Bond. And James Bond. And he's, uh... He wow, played... I didn't realize when young he was James Bond. Which James, was he the James Bond iconic? He, he was the, the first James Bond in the movie Dr. No. Oh, wow. Wow. 
that uh, that surprised me. And he me. played he played him for quite a while. There's been at least like five, six, seven bonds. I think I I, I lost count, but uh, yeah, he was one of the first ones. And honestly, so it's like your name's Henry Jones Jr. We <laughs> named the dog Indiana, of course. Uh, let me shake my martinis for a second. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just a drink. A martini, shaken, not stirred. No, he he's the one that always that you always remember the Bond, James Bond, and you know, and, and that's exactly what it was. I didn't realize that was him. That is surprising to me. But yeah, Sean Connery. Uh, we did an Indiana Jones uh, and Temple Dew reaction on YouTube uh, earlier, and that was pretty fun. You should could check it out after this, obviously. Yeah. What did help her uh, finances was the 1956 remake of Imitation of Life, uh, a name. Sort of, I, I feel like we talked about an imitation of life, uh, which she persisted through despite uh, the whole film being about a failing actress. Oof, that would have hurt her feelings a lot. Well, well, <laughs> she's like, I'm acting out my life, story of my life, yeah, man. There are movies about. I mean, Sunset Boulevard is, you know, uh, is a movie uh, about a failed actress played by an actress. So you're not playing your own failure. <laughs> You're basically just portraying things that you've seen and things that you could feel and you could place yourself, I think, more easily and readily into the part. Because you're an actress playing an actress, so you, you, you've either Fred met somebody. Astaire. Yeah. That's who I was thinking of. I was thinking of Fred Astaire. And Ginger Rogers. And Ginger Rogers. Ah, there like, you go. Yeah, I was thinking of somebody. Thank you so much, Brain. I was like, oh, it's Fred Astaire. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. And they, they work together in so many movies, and I, I agree. Spencer Tracy and Catherine Hepburn really did respect each other and their work. He respected her work before he got to know her on a personal level. Yes, so that's those, very good. Uh, I would relate those two to Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers. Nice, nice, um, nice, uh, yeah, nice one. The 1959 remake of Imitation of Life uh, made millions, and she got financial success from that, uh, despite you know having to pay a wrongful death lawsuit. Uh, oh, yeah. It was pretty hefty, uh, at least if adjusted for inflation. $750,000 was, like, a, uh, a lot. That's anyway, quite a bit. Later, she acted in popular 1970s TV shows such as Falcon's Crest and The Survivors, not to be confused with Survivor. Survivor, yeah. Which came out probably, like, more toward 1990s. Uh, to uh, that, that's a 2000s show. And then she was in her final film, uh, the comedy horror Witch's Brew. And then she died due to throat cancer. Uh, just like Lon Chaney, I think, actually, uh, we were talking Lon about Ch- that Senior. in Fan of the Opera, 1925. Senior, uh, yeah. Lon Chaney Sr. died through throat cancer into coming into, you know, the sound era and was diminishing in that respect. Uh, but she died a smoker, sadly. A lot of these actors did, and, you know, they, it just, it became this way of, of assuaging their nerves, you know, kind of calming their nerves. And it just got into a habit, and, and everybody everybody smoked in Hollywood. It was just a thing. And only till later, people were like, uh, hey, smoking's really bad, and you can get throat cancer. And then they're like, oh, okay, yeah, right. And then yeah. you die of it. So we're going to get to a couple more shorter entries in this list. Ian Hunter as John Lanyon was actually King Richard in The Adventures of Robin Hood. I did not realize that. Maybe you talked about him a bit more in that episode. Uh, oh right, maybe. King Richard, the one you know he was he was in he was in d- dis- uh, disguise. Yeah, so he probably talked about Ian Hunter a bit more there. Probably not. That was a fairly short production in consideration to the massive plot that we had. Or actually, I think we had more of it was the opposite, more of a production than a plot. But still, everyone knows the plot to Robin Hood. So right, right, right. Yeah, 
Barton McLean as Sam Higgins. I don't remember Sam uh, Higgins. Sam movie. Higgins was the guy who um, who had the accident in with the within in the gas explosion in the mine or whatever. Let's go to mine. Uh, oh right, he and he lost the... he, he lost he lost his mind. They but call he it... was in uh, Maltese Falcon as Lieutenant Dundee, uh, probably a pretty famous role. Uh, it's a side I, I role. Believe it gives, it's a side uh, role. I believe he gives Humphrey Bogart a letter in the. In the Maltese Falcon. Oh, wow. Uh, he was also Pat McCormick in Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Oh. Uh, we'll see him in The Mummy's Ghost. And he was the villain in the 9th and 11th, Johnny Weissmuller, Tarzan. I did not know that series was that extensive. But there is at least 11 entries. It goes for quite a while. We're getting Final Fantasy up in here. Like, wow. The Weissmuller Tarzans. And we reviewed one of them. So, <laughs> there is There's quite a, a few. Lot. And in the Tarzan episode, we did talk. And, I don't, and that's I, getting in, probably getting in the 1950s cringe era that Johnny Weissmuller Tarzan had. Yeah, well, nobody's really watched our, or listened to our Tarzan YouTube episode at all. It, it's not really getting in that many hits at all. Yeah, uh, you know, it's <laughs> nearly 20,000 views. Yeah. It's, it's totally laudable. That's nothing to swing at. Uh, nothing to swing at. Uh, which, uh, actually, while we're mentioning views on YouTube, our Robin Hood episode uh, has reached 1,000 views as Not of bad. now. Not uh, bad. I think it's 1,000, uh, it's 1.1K, I believe, as of current. That's pretty respectable. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's our, it's our first, it's our first episode to reach 100K after Tarzan just blowing it out of the water. Well, nice, nice. I, I, uh, I these classic heroes. As Bishop Manners was Jane's dad, James Parker, in Tarzan the Ape Man. These connections are crazy. These connections to things we've seen yeah. before that we don't remember. Like, for instance, Frederick Warlock as Dr. Heath was the voice of Horus in 101 Dalmatians. I believe we talked about someone being the narrator in 101 Dalmatians before. Hor- Horus was one of the bad guys, yeah. Yeah, Horus was, uh, he-, he was, you know, Cruel DeVille's, like, sort of henchman. I believe he was one of two. Yes, Hedgemans, there's two two guys. One, one super skinny guy and one kind of... And guess what? We've got another Tarzan the Ape Man dude. Forrester Harvey is old Prouty in this movie. I don't remember old Prouty in this movie. But I don't either. Beamish in Tarzan the Ape Man in its sequel, Tarzan Jane. Herbert Hall, the bartender husband, I believe, in The Invisible Man. Uh, he was Ben Jenkins in The Invisible Man Returns. We talked about him. Probably talked about him there, too. Honesty Nuttall in Captain Blood with um, Errol Flynn, who Errol was in Flynn. Adventures of Robin Hood. Uh, he was an extra in the Bulldog Drubbin movies, which we mentioned in our Invisible Woman episode. And he was, uh, we will see him as Twiddle in The Wolfman. Aha. Uh-huh. Which don't is actually, Twiddle. I'm pretty sure that's our next episode, if not after that. Yes, it's our next episode, of The Wolfman. I, the I Wolfman will be exciting for Dad. I cannot, I cannot, I cannot wait for you to see it because it's it's probably the most iconic, you know, werewolf movie ever made. Um, all the other ones that exist are really just nipping at the at its uh, at its uh, clawed heels. So, and finally, I wrote down uh, in the notes here: Percy Reginald Lawrence Grant as that colonial dude. That, you know, that, 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 that colonial, colonial dude. dude. <laughs> I don't remember his name, actually, but uh, it's Wikipedia. But uh, I don't remember that dude. Is that, is that colonial dude. Is a colonel. Yes, exactly. He had supporting roles in The Living Ghost, 1942. I'll Tell the World, 1934. Uh, Shanghai Express, 1932. The Mask of Fumanchu, 1932. Uh, we talked about some Fumanchu movies. This is probably one of the first ones. Uh, and Son of Frankenstein, 1939. Yep. Yep. Um. So that is... That is all I have, actually, really. It was a wild ride of lots of different things. We will definitely have more comparisons to come. I've been trying to save them for a bit more for our next segment. Uh, Although, again, we have made some comparisons into this one. 
uh, which I, I don't know. I'm I was just like, hey, maybe we want to save some, but actually, I may, I'm, maybe I'm just being a bit stupid. But yeah, we'll we'll have some more, definitely some more talking comparison talk as we'll have in our plot section, which is gonna be real fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and Jekyll and Hyde is just like I described it uh, in our uh, early episode as. The it was the it was Paramount's Frankenstein at the time. It was like you have Frankenstein, you have Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde. It was really this classic horror monster that really paralleled Frankenstein's success uh, for Paramount. And um, Adolf Zukor presents was at the top of the Doctor Jekyll, Mister Hyde. I remember that Adolf Zukor, uh, Zukor was one of the founders of Paramount. Uh, they didn't really have that in this movie, though. Funnily enough, they didn't presented by Adolf Zukor anymore. That's just a little tiny thing, little tiny nugget of what we're about to talk about next. So do you have anything else to say about this movie? Um, well, what I can tell you is is that I think that it tried, and it got the story across, and it's watchable. Um, I do think there's a couple moments that I, I was surprised by and we'll, that we'll talk about in the plot section. But ultimately, the one that I prefer is is the 1931 version. I think we all figured that out. Me too. Yeah. And a lot of people, some people prefer this version, and it's understandable with, like, you know, that human hide, that MGM production value, uh, that sheen that's on every 1940s movie, basically, we've been seeing. It, even, like, Universal changed their logo to have, like, this crystals to show all the gleaming, the gleaming that you could get from 1940s lighting. It's just something about the cameras. Anyway, I, I love it. Um, but yeah, th- and they were talking about how that hide is sort of, like, better in their mind's eyes, especially, of course, I talked about the image and the silhouette of, uh, that we get from Hyde is partially influenced by this movie. Yes. And sort of built this imagining of what Hyde would be, uh, in, uh, of course, popular culture. And we wouldn't... We wouldn't have, like, Ed Jekyll and Hyde at all without the both of these movies, honestly. I feel like both of them are historically very important. Don't rag on one to put your inferior movie up uh, if you're a new studio out there talking to you. But to summarize, yeah, I would say that in terms of preferring, I would definitely say that the first one and this one, they both have some elements that you can go, hmm, for but as I said in the first one, there's really some elements. There's things that they have. There's stuff that the 1931 movie has going for it that this movie really doesn't. Right. So while it is a pretty good movie, definitely. Uh, also, we were talking about pacing was an issue. Maybe because we were tired, but there were some long talking scenes with absolute silence. Nothing really going on and really drew on. Which was a weakness of this movie in comparison to the previous movie. Uh, feels like they comparatively waste the two hours that they had. It just feels like an emptier movie in general uh, than Jekyll and Hyde was. So, but, but that's all summarizing. Both of them are pretty great. I would definitely prefer the previous version. It sort of it has a lot of strengths to it. Uh, it's sort of in that classic horror era where everything was popping. You know, what do you think? I I think that <sighs> you're talking about where, liking this one or no. What do you mean? Do you like it in general? I do. I it's watchable. I do like it. I do think it's a little bit long, a little bit long uh, than I would than I would want. But it, it's it's not one of those movies where it's like oh it's just it's just the acting is terrible. I don't think the acting is terrible. I think it misses the mark. It doesn't you know it's not as it's not as memorable. I think as as the one you know when I think of Doctor Je- uh, Jekyll and Mister Hyde, I think of the thirty one one. Any other portrayals, I'm kind of like. Okay, they're they're fine, you know. So overall, not as great or iconic 
as the previous one. So we will leave you on that, and next time we'll have my uh, my beautiful odious father doing oh, the plot. I think. Of the movie, which, as I said, will be a lot of different comparisons in comparison to the previous movie. We'll hopefully have enough comparison points to talk about. Oh, yeah. There will be, like, we're, we're, we're going to be doing all the analysis and talk about, like, script differences, you know, plot differences. Thematic. You know, much, thematic, thematic materials, yeah. You know, how much do they spend on this scene in comparison to the original movie? Like, I'm interested to figure out. And we're, we're going to be doing this podcast episode all about it for you so until then we'll give you a little break music and then we'll hop right back into it hey all and welcome to the podcast yet again we are doing uh, of course dr jiggle and mr hyde I'm going to sort of bring in the historical basis, like the basis for which the story, the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is based off of the... Ed Lew- Robert Louis Stevenson. Robert Louis Stevenson. Yeah. Sorry. It's okay. So firstly, I want to mention the Victorian ideals, which were that they, uh, they claimed morality and piousness, uh, which made them hypocrites. Uh, and they questioned their hypocro- hip- hypocrisy. <laughs> hypocrisy. Uh, they questioned this that, you know, the goodness that they saw themselves in, you know, compared to the church's beliefs of, you know, that this is a sin. They were like, oh, are we really that good if the, you know, the things that we, are we really good people if the church says otherwise? Another thing they thought uh, science, which in this case was in the form of Darwinism, uh, was threatening religion. And uh, especially we'd see that in this in this movie, uh, definitely it is there is the Victorian ideals and science uh, threatening religion. Obviously, you don't get this in the 1930s, as we will see with Dad's plot summary after I give this basis. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to mention was Italian criminologist uh, Cesare Lombostro. I believe I've spelled that correctly. Cesare Lombostro uh, is known for his theory of criminal activism or, or the born criminal, you know, Criminality was attributed uh, by physical signs like uh, lopsided faces, low foreheads, large jaws or cheekbones. You know, basically what Hyde looks like in uh, the 1930s. Right. Hyde. And to this one too, though not to as much as extent. Also to mention, of course, I was talking about earlier the vision of uh, Hyde, you know, bolting down the streets of London uh, in a black cape and cane and hat. Is uh, it is very uh, similar to you know the the Jack the Ripper you know it is a Jack the Ripper esque you know image right to see there and Jack the Ripper of course was a man about the same time about the eighteen hundreds who was he he was seen like as a commoner but he was not great toward the woman he murdered uh, four or five uh, prostitutes I believe yes also to mention like how criminals are judged by how they look is the golden ratio which was um it can use be used for paintings and stuff like with leonardo da vinci um but it can also be used for you know uh images of faces you know the uh golden ratio is you know the ratio to measure to to make a face look uh beautiful or pretty something to look beautiful or pretty uh good to the eye uh really it it originates from the greek mathematicians uh study of you know pentagons uh, which was dominated by Euclid and Pythagoras, uh, and then on to Fibonacci, 
his numbers, the Fibonacci sequence, right. converges to the golden ratio, and uh, also to mention uh, Kepler, who studied polyhedrons in relation to astronomy and planetary motion, and polyhedrons implement the golden ratio as well. And plus, they're fun to play role-playing games with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was waiting. Polyhedrons are great. <laughs> I was waiting for you to say that. No, go ahead. And then last, uh, second and lastly, also to mention is Sigmund Freud. Have you heard of Sigmund Freud? Of course I have. Yes. yes. Famous, famous uh, uh, psychologist. Also, yes, he was also in the 1850s, along with you know the people we're mentioning here, as the strange case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was made in uh, the 1850s. Uh, he was an Australian neurologist. Welcome to Australia! Austrian. Who, uh, thanks. Yeah. Austrian. <laughs> an Austrian neurologist who... Uh, Form, was known for the theory of psychoanalysis. Uh, the concept uh, was a method of therapy that aimed to bring unconscious thoughts and emotions into conscious awareness. And uh, he believed that unconscious conflicts and repressed desires uh, greatly influenced human behavior. Uh, you know, through techniques such as free association, dream analysis, he was trying to uncover sort of this. Uh, and he made the three model part of the mind, which was the conscious, the pre-conscious, and the unconscious argued that the unconscious mind consisting of repressed memories and desires had a significant impact on an individual's thoughts and actions, often conflicting with conscious desires. We're seeing this here with, you know, Jekyll is the conscious, while Hyde is the unconscious right. desires. The common words that I use is the, uh, that he used, is the is the ego, the superego, and the id. That's that's what I remember, yes, yeah. the id uh, was the, my, uh, the repressed instincts and it's uh, the it is what he called it. It operates according to, you know, the pleasure principle, seeking immediate gratification. And, uh, of course, the ego, which uh, mediates between the id and the demands of reality and the superego, which represents the moral standards, the moral standards of society. Yeah, this all leads into the role of the unconscious and the influence of human behavior, which is exemplified in this movie. And there's also the concept of defense mechanisms, uh, which in, were individuals were employing to protect themselves from anxiety and distress, uh, which is repression, denial, displacement, transference. We sort of see, like Hyde, and also with the Victorian ideals, they were sort of pushing away. They had a moral standard. They had a standard to upkeep, which as we see in uh, these two movies, or especially the first one, he mentions that, uh, Jekyll mentions it outright. He has an image to keep. He has an image to keep. You know, he's got to, you know, he's got to look good on the outside. He's got to, he, he's got to upkeep, you know, a good image of himself as a fellow Victorian. And that was the Victorian, part of Victorian ideals, which, of course, they were, you know, pushing away and denying the fact that, uh, of sin in everyday human beings. Also, do you remember uh, there's another part that's in this movie is you get some of the commentary from the father, Sir Charles. He's he there's a part where he says, you know, don't don't go off on all these, you know, these newfangled ideas. They're they're heresy. They're blasphemous. Whatever. They're they're crazy. What you need to do is just do regular doctor stuff. We have a because we run in certain social circles and stuff. He also said, you know, there's a part where he kisses her hand or does something kind of silly, you know, kind of romantic like, and he's like seriously sir you know uh hold, hold back your uh you know your childish notions you know it just, he, he wants everything to have decorum and everything to be in its place and it totally goes with the victorian ideal of you know everybody keep everything quiet keep it under wraps don't 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 ever you know, repress everything 
and then it's just bound to explode. Yeah, keep a moral upstanding. And uh, also there's the Freudian slips, which uh, Freudian believed the accidental slips of the tongue uh, and also the dreams of the patient could provide, uh, you know, valuable insights into the individual's unconscious and uh, that the manifestation of the unconscious in these ways could reveal hidden thoughts and emotions within them. Yes. And, uh, of course, in this movie, we see he has wild dreams. Yeah, the, those are the hallucinogenic uh, scenes. Yeah, like, like when he's taking... There's a couple times when he's taking taking it, and you can definitely see that there's an uncorking of a bottle. Yeah, it's... I don't... I don't we'll, we'll get to yeah. it when we get to <laughs> it, but it is crazy. Yeah. Uh, also, to mention a uh, a person who was around the same time as uh, Stevenson's growing up, who's uh, Deacon Brody. Uh, his name is William Brody. He's a cabinet maker who led a double life as a skilled burglar and a criminal mastermind. Wow. And uh, Stephen had written a play about him as Brody, uh, as Brody was local to Edinburgh, which was his home country. Uh, and, of course, Edinburgh is, I believe it's the capital of Scotland. Yeah, I think it was in Scotland, yes. And, uh, you know, sort of the urban terrors that uh plagued victoria uh victorian england with you know like of course mentioning jack the ripper this is also was well in his mind as a sort of inspiration for this yes absolutely and so that's really the background of uh dr jekyll and mr hyde which i'm glad to share you know some of the thought processes of how you know this came to be that was really interesting. Well, I'm the so the thing, thing that I'm glad about is that you exposed yourself to a lot of the uh, of the the psychoanalysis and all the stuff like that about the mind, because you know I, I don't know of any other time where we would just be going la di da through our day and just we start talking about Sigmund Freud and I. That's part of the cool thing about this podcast is that you go into kind of the backgrounds of the science behind the science fiction. And, and then yeah. you go, polyhedrons. <laughs> Wait, what podcast am I in? <laughs> You're in a podcast that's better than all the other podcasts because we talk about polyhedrons yeah. and other interesting stuff. Yeah, no politics, just polyhedrons. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so let's actually get into the movie, which uh, begins with a gravestone as a backdrop. It go- goes into uh, a church. See, the 1931... Well, yeah. I wanted to mention that uh, in this one... In this movie, it's just this flat, light gray square. Uh, while in the uh, 1936, it's this striking dark gray. You know, like how nice, fancy wooden dressers are curved, like the uh, tops of like that yeah, the, like the filigree, like yeah, the kind of that well designed kind of look to it, yeah, like the curves and then like the squares at the end, sort of like that uh, carved into it. Uh, and the background music is Dakota and Fugue, which, while being a weird choice, as you know, it's the vampire song. Uh, which is strange because they use Swan Lake in uh, Dracula instead of this, which is funny. Right. Uh, it does bring me back to when these old movies use classical pieces uh, rather than composing pieces. But yeah, in this movie, uh, it was a uh, Frank's Waxman uh, grand music that uh, interludes into this huge choir section, uh, sort of a la Things to Come uh, a little bit. And we'll mention uh, how the choir uh, comes back it's sort of things to the end of things to come uh if you get what I mean. So the the 1931 Jekyll and Hyde it it started with the this preparation to go to a place of higher learning and rationality aka the university right and the 1941 version starts with a spiritual location a church in 1887 London England um yeah religion is the theme and not science yeah, well the there there's some religion does peek its way in now and again uh it even ends with something religious, and we'll talk about that at the end, but because they're probably feeling like you know 
oh, it's sort of, it's not mentioning God at all. And, you know, religion and stuff and not having that basis. The, 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 they probably wanted to butter up to the code and be like, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, and also, you know, the Victorian uh, ideals and the, it's, it's also, it's, it, it's, they probably got more into that stuff. And they do mention Victoria in this film. They don't really mention, you know, Victoria in the previous film. We naturally turn our thoughts towards that way of life as exemplified by Victoria, our beloved queen. For this week begins Her Majesty's Golden Jubilee. No, yeah, the, yeah that's right. Uh, the, the, there's yeah, the, the, the Queen's 1930s, Jubilee or something at the time, yeah. The 1930s is beginning with him playing Tocat and Fugue uh, in his organ. His head is swaying, you know, impossibly. Uh, he's, uh, it's this first-person shot of him getting ready, going into the auditorium on a carriage that's very it's very um, striking but they def, definitely they're very traditional i think with this movie it's in some of those shots Yeah, and they gloat he's a nutcase he gives a speech about us scientists uh we should peer beyond the london smog london is so full of fog that it has penetrated our minds set boundaries for our vision uh instead of doctor work today he's going to present the soul is uh not one but truly two my analysis of this soul, the human psyche, leads me to believe that man is not truly one, but truly two. Is the line. I believe yes. it's from the book as well. The noble yeah. side and the earth-binded impulsive side. Uh, and of course, free the good self for future human achievement, and the bad side will fulfill itself. The, the epic strategy. I'm going to sell you some snake oil. <laughs> well, at the very beginning, it starts with a, uh, it starts in a church. And uh, uh, the very beginning of this of 1941, does start yeah, a church. And uh, there is a guy there uh, who is uh, Bishop Manners. Well, uh, yeah, Bishop. Oh, you're mentioning Sam. Higgins. Bishop Manners is talking. Yes, he's talking about yeah, the Bishop Manners is like talking about the you Queen's know, Jubilee uh, is coming up. Yeah, the Queen's Jubilee is under the assumption of goodness in our hearts. We despise evil. We despise evil. Uh, the quote: We naturally turn our hearts toward that way of life. Uh, it's, you know, going like, you know, we're not evil people. We believe in God. Yes, amazing. Yeah, and this guy named Sam Higgins, he just pipes up and he says, evil wiped out, eh? Evil wiped out, eh? <laughs> and may we not live oh, for the day. take all the fun well, out of life, eh, Bishop? Sure, Get out, be the character of this the realm with the Yeah. So, uh, so. And uh, he's not talking about, like, the forces of good have overcome evil will be wiped out. About, about Queen Victoria? Uh, her jubilee, apparently? And they're like, you know, she grew up amidst flesh, but the forces of evil have overcome it. Well, they're trying to say that that she was a representative of of the morality and the better way, and and it, again, again, you know, we we have she's the queen mom. I mean, of course she is. All right, so um, now uh, of course, yeah, Sam Higgins is laughing in strong agreement, and he says it would take the fun out of life. Yeah, so he he's played by uh um. He's played by uh, Barton McLean, and he only shows up in like a couple of scenes. But in this scene, he's yelling out and saying all this kind of crazy stuff, and he gets escorted out, you know, because um, you don't want to bother everybody. And there's a doctor who follows him out, and this is uh, this is Doctor Henry J- uh, Jekyll, played by uh, Spencer Tracy. Um, he questions the man's um, mother. And I'm pretty sure that she's – I thought she was his wife for a second, but then later on I was like, okay, wait a minute. This is some, my son, and I'm like, oh, this is, her, this is the mother, obviously. So uh, this guy, Sam Higgins, he went insane uh, after su- – or went evil, basically, after suffering a gasworks explosion. 
Has he been like this before? It's been getting worse since the explosion. Shot, boy. Instead of taking him to the police, though, they they're, they decide they're going to take him to the hospital instead, based upon Dr. Yeah, Jekyll's Jekyll, suggestion. Jekyll wants to take him off their hands. He's like, yeah, we'll just put him in the hospital instead. I'll get to him. It'll, it's cool, man. Yeah, Dr. Jekyll is there with his... And he returns to the service. Yeah. He, and, of course, he's with his uh, 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 girlfriend, B. Fiance, Beatrix, B, yeah, played by Lana Turner. Uh, Lana Turner was a big, uh, um, you know, leading lady kind of actress. Um, in terms of, in terms of, I would say, in terms of performance, uh, I'm not saying that I think that uh, the Ingrid Bergman does a better job at uh, at the the part of Ivy Pearson than than uh, uh, Miriam Hopkins did in, in the 1931 version, but. I, I do think she she is given much more to do. If you if you look at Ingrid Bergman and her character and what she's given to do and what uh, Beatrix is given to do, it's it's not there's no not really any kind of comparison. She's has a whole lot more dramatic uh, meat to chew on. But anyway, back to this. So you're saying that Lana Turner is is uh, versus Miriam Hopkins? You say Lana Turner's? Well, right? no, Lana Turner played uh, played the fiance. Um, oh right, and and uh, and Ingrid Bergman played uh, Ivy Pearson, and, and and Miriam Hopkins was Ivy Pearson in the 1931 version. Um, okay, thanks for ruining all of our brains. <laughs> I love ruining brains. So, um, so no, I was saying too many names. I was saying in in in, 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 in comparison with Lana Turner's performance, Lana Turner does okay with what she's given. It's fine, but you know, you, with uh, with Ivy Pearson, you get all these different emotions and different dramatic takes. Uh, that, that you get to do. So I, I kind of understand why Ingrid Bergman wanted that part instead of Lana Turner getting it uh, because it, there was so much more to chew on and it, and it was not your traditional uh, good girl kind of role. It, it, it wasn't her typecast. Exactly. And she did get typecast a lot as, 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 that, as the Lana Turner type as well. So she wanted to kind of go a little, a little different. So um, uh, they, they are heading out. Uh, Beatrix's father is played by Donald Crisp. I think his name is Sir Charles. Anyway, they're both leaving, and uh, Beatrix uh, accuses uh, her father of being too big on decorum and being pompous. My dear Beatrice, I'm a very broad-minded man, as you know, but I do wish Harry wouldn't make such demonstrations of affection in public, even if you are going to marry him. Now, Father, darling, don't be pompous. Uh, it's kind of because, I think it's because he calls Dr. Jekyll on how you know how he how he's kind of you know romantic and stuff in well, in yeah, public in public uh, that's when they yes but that's uh sort of as they're talking in the carriage yes uh, as, as of course uh b is you know uh sort of kissing uh jekyll and b are sort of kissing up to each other and you know b is like don't be late for the dinner you know and they drive oh, off boy. and her father's very uncomfortable with their lovey-doveyness he's also like tired feeling and um, so, so Jekyll, uh, shit, yeah, my notes. Jekyll, Jekyll um, wants to Herbert yeah. Hobbs as General Danvers Carew in the 1931 version is very vocal in antagonizing uh, Jekyll and his relationship with his daughter Muriel, uh, while Donald Crisp as Sir Charles Emery in this movie is very much softer about the matter. He is he's more subtle, very, more subtle. He's subtle, more subtle, more reserved. You know, he doesn't mention you know tradition, tradition, tradition. <laughs> um, he doesn't mention tradition uh, as much in this one, right? Right. At all really. So uh, Jekyll, uh, he doesn't go into detail about his thoughts about the good and evil in man. He kind of gives a hint at it, but he does say that uh, he. W- it gets pushed off till later. Yeah, he to, like the, there's a dinner party where he really goes into all all his theories. But what he's doing is he wants to use um, 
He wants to use uh, the man, uh, Sam, as a test for experiments. He's in the hospital. We'll have nothing of it until the theories are proved further. He says we have to have courage and not ethics to take a gamble on this. Of course, the man's mother is nearby when he's saying all this stuff. Well, after all, the man's a human being. You mean he was a human being? And he might be again if you'd keep your hidebound ethics out of this. Uh, you can't experiment oh, on yeah, human uh, beings. I noted down that Sam is speaking like a gremlin. Oh. Which is funny. He does, he's speaking in, in like a gremlin. He's like, oh, you want to tell her what I think, yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. Not like, exactly. Not, not like hide voice, but like very gremlin-y. He's like golluming up at the joint, yeah. Uh, but Jiggle says it's uh, ever growing his greatest case yet uh, to Dr. Heath. Uh, I believe. Yes, yes. And you can't experiment on human beings. You can only experiment on animals, and not one animal. Yeah, he's like, it may be in the scope of your research. He says, uh, uh, Jekyll says, I'll cure him with a cure of those tested with the animals. Uh, Jekyll says it might not work. It's dangerous. Uh, Jekyll doesn't care for uh, Dr. Heath's ethics. And uh, Sam was a human being. Uh, and he also talks about, uh, you know, you need courage to gamble, uh, to gamble, uh, in the daring. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, after that, uh, Doctor Jekyll comes home, and he's got the, he's got that butler pool played by Peter Godfrey, of course, just like uh, just like the other version. Good afternoon, sir. Just in time for tea, sir. I'll be bound you had no lunch, sir. Uh, well, he stomps off toward his home after he, he does. Has yeah, this conversation. You're he's like you, you're dealing with unmentionable deeds, and uh, Lanyon also does appear there. He's like you know he wants to be in it. Uh, he's like you know are you okay? He's like. Yeah, I'm gonna ride the bulls out of the China shop, and he's like, you know, I'll be with you forever, uh, or I'll be with you, China or no China. Right, so right. Sort of like, you know, I'll be there on your side when you do these experiments. Right. So, so when he gets back to his house, he's he's obsessive, and he he he's in that mode where, right, Jekyll gets in this mode where he doesn't eat. Pool keeps trying to give him some a sandwich. Uh, he so he checks in on this rat and this rabbit, and they're both dead at that point. And he's like, back to the drawing board. Uh, next scene is at this dinner, right? Some individuals from the medical establishment are hosting. There's also a... Oh, wow. Wait. Sorry. I had comparisons to make. I didn't really... Oh, okay, okay. Where do you... you... Okay. Um, I wanted to say, you know, about the same time they're doing the Sam Higgins stuff. Jekyll is in the free wards. Um, And, uh, of course, the Atlanteans summon him as the dinner is starting soon. But Jekyll says he'll be there just for the dancing. Uh, Why can't you get a house surgeon? Uh, His patient flitches to that. He says Jekyll's like, no, just make my excuses. Uh, and he makes the excuses. So he's down in the free ward at this time. But in this, he doesn't really do anything with the hospital. He's just interested in Sam Higgins in particular. Yeah, it doesn't show his 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 ability to help other people. You know, like like the little little girl going, "I can walk, sir." I can walk, sir. Of course you can. I can walk, sir. I can. I'm walking, sir. You remember that? Yeah. Uh, also to note, the of course is uh, going over through this is that Friedrich Marches uh, performs. He's he's got this flowery like poetic speech when he talks in many different scenes that is uh, not here when Spencer uh, Spencer Tracy is having a go at right. it. Right. So it's just it makes it, the first movie more iconic in a way. I can remember a lot of details about the first movie and not so much the second movie. Yeah. Uh, because man, I was surprised how much I uh, remembered of it. I was like, oh, all the lines and stuff, man. Also, they're kind of um, they're kind of checking off boxes. They're doing their own thing, and I'm not saying that they are you know that they're doing a terrible job. It's just not as memorable. I think that uh, as you were going through your comparisons, did you notice that one movie was just it just got across the point uh, a lot quicker and with less less scenes? 
I mean, I that's how like I feel. The, the 1930s version, uh, at least the one that we watched, ran uh, one hour and 35 minutes. This one runs 12 minutes uh, more, probably like 48 minutes, uh, one hour 48. And that's probably due to some scenes being much longer with some more talking with, like, uh, Ivy. And they add different various scenes and story beats that weren't in the original so, yeah, we were saying about pacing. Yeah, pacing is a little bit more than, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde, which is just snappy on everything. Um, but I could say it's not that much worse than the previous one since it's only 12 extra minutes. I mean, that sounds like... I did I did notice still. some things. Like, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. But I, I was talking about, like, you know, the parts where where Frederick March as as Hyde would like be you know quicker with his with his uh you know his his torturing and his pushing of of, uh, of Ivy in the other one he's just very like well let's stay here at home you know he's he's he, he talks like you know more whispery and he's uh you know as Spencer Tracy does i mean as as Hyde he's more whispering Spencer Tracy is Hyde is just like he stare he's a lot of the time spent uh that Hyde spends in the previous movie you know talking about you know your bird and, uh, you know, the bullying, backwards way bullying into, like, doing the things, which, and the things they sort of brings up is a lot different from the hide in this movie. Right. And uh, in this way, a lot of that is just staring at her, especially in the first many scenes that we see Hyde and Ivy interact. Yeah, he's, he's just staring at her. It's sort of getting the same point across. He says but less, but but I don't know if it's. If he's just cre- he's just creepy. The it is. one is actually like he could be a threat, as we see in the bar uh, 1930s version. We he says uh, he's not someone to be trifled with. In this one, not really. He lo- yeah, he, he looks like he could actually eat someone you know yeah ivy in 1930 was was struck pink uh by that and so that she would go there but the reason uh in this one is in the bar scene as we get later than we are right now uh is that oh he wants a bottle of the boil and she goes oh bubbly and go get it that's the reason okay whatever yeah exactly well, so you, yeah the dinner so let's go back to the dinner so uh like i said some people in the medical establishment were there plus uh, Sir Charles and, and Beatrix, but also some religious people as well. Of course, Jekyll is late again. Uh, well, once he gets there, they have some interesting conversations on the subject matter of his experiments and his theories. Uh, there's some individuals there of high society, some physicians who take care of even Her Majesty Queen Victoria. That's And I believe Bishop Manners himself. Yeah, I think he's there too. Uh, is there too. So you get some pu- a lot of pushback on those theories, right? Uh, the priest has some notions that it's God's purview of good and evil, and it's God's realm to deal with. Yeah, you know, Jekyll, Jekyll's, uh, or Jekyll, Jekyll, whatever, Trickle. Yeah, the conversation everyone gets to is like, you know, your experiments about separating the brain. Uh, Jekyll is like, no, rather it's the soul. Uh, Bishop Manners then jokes it, uh, would invade my territory. And Jekyll is like, uh, of course you wouldn't object as science could aid the church. All right, then call it the soul. So, so. Come, come, my dear doctor. Now you're invading my territory. Well, I suppose I am, sir, but I know that you, for one, wouldn't object if science could be of some assistance to the church. Instead of, you know, presenting it to a bunch of students uh, that, you know, I, I noted them down as uh, Draco Malfoy Club. Right. Because a lot of them were in that, you know, scene where they're walking out of the university. Yes. In the previous film. Yes. Instead, it's like inspiration for 
the church, I guess. It's going to help the church get inspiration from, I guess. Well, he says, he says. One, it makes more sense in that way. He says, is it right to tamper with the problem until the creator himself has solved it in his own mysterious way? So basically, you're messing in God's domain. Yeah, you know, there's a higher source to help uh, with, you know, good men aren't necessarily sinless. Everyone wants to keep back, uh, you know, something to himself. Uh, you know, the desires in their heart they want to keep to themselves. You know, there's a higher source that can help with that, not you. They sort of interrupt this uh, with inquirers to, you know, elaborate about the experiment, but they have secretly planted, uh, across, like, getting across the same the same points uh, without the co-noticing is that uh, J- Jekyll is competing against God, you know, there's uh, because he dropped that there's a higher source to do with that, not you. But uh, Jekyll is like, well, yeah, but I'm going to... And then he gets interrupted. Yeah, so. and they they try, they try to change the subject, but the conversation gets a little heated. It's kind of like when you're at a Thanksgiving dinner and somebody mentions who they voted for. Jekyll does mention, as in the 1930s, that the two sides are changed uh, are chained together. Yes, uh, to free the good side to go to higher destiny, which is you know godliness, and segregate the bad, which is interesting. Then just let it deal with itself, uh, slowly pass away. And what's what's really uncomfortable is the, the is, is is the ride home. I mean, Beatrix is uh, they're going back to Beatrix's dad's house for a nightcap, which I'm assuming is like a little bit of alcohol before you go to sleep, which is weird. But since everybody nobody really drives themselves anywhere, I guess it's okay to drink. So uh, they head back to Beatrix's dad's house. It's a very uncomfortable cab ride, and when they get there. There's a music box and a, a painting of uh, Sir Charles's former yeah, wife. The music, yes, the music box is the waltz, which was the last kind of dance he had with his wife. So yeah, he's painting. it inspi- inspired them to to kind of cut a rug. Uh, him and Beatrix, uh, uh, Jekyll and Beatrix, and they go out. They so go outside he, in the conservatory or whatever you want to call it, and they, they and, talk. They know, have a little love talk. Kiss. Yeah, just a tiny little love talk. But in the in the 1930s, this was a dance, like a full on dance with everybody. Oh yeah, it was huge. It was huge it was like it was a huge 20 dance. different people they dancing yeah dance around they dance away into the garden and you know profess uh love for each other i don't think you love me seriously oh i love you better than that i love you gaily happily high-hearted i love you so much that i could laugh and sing and oh i shouldn't spoil it by trying to sing <laughs> it's much longer than this one they just immediately it's, it's because like they're in checking the boxes 1930s yeah in the 1930s uh, he's sort of establishing his relationship with Muriel. Muriel Carew, uh, but yeah. But this one, B and Jekyll are already, you know, lovebirds already. So there's nothing really too much to establish. So they just immediately cut to, you know, the kiss. And then getting interrupted by the dad. By the dad. Yeah, um, Beatrix, da- his dad comes out. He wants to have a conversa- and this conversation time alone ask, with him. Uh, for the music book. And also to, you know, calmly ask if he's in love with her for earnest. And then he says their relationship is harebrained. Uh, because the experiments are getting in the way. In my opinion, the whole thing is harebrained. Well, the, 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 uh, exp- the experiments were harebrained. Uh, he's okay with him be- being uh, with express- her, but uh, he want he wants to be able to count on him. He wa- he says you got to have uh, something to be counted upon, and not not some crazy notions. You've got to you've got to stick with you know re- you know the regular medical stuff. Develop your practice. Cultivate the circle in which you and Beatrice shall move. He mentions social circles and being able to provide. So honestly, his focus is more about what it looks like in society. Yeah, General Carew in the previous one is a lot more blunt about this. He's, you know, uh, you know, Jekyll, you're impatient and uh, eccentric. Is this another evidence of your eccentricity? If it is eccentric to be impatient in love, sir, I am. Which is positively decent. So uh, no, you can't uh, marry 
um, which was the thing, you know, you have to keep up tradition. Uh, you must marry only at my anniversary. He's very stingy for that. Yeah, and he's uh, a he's a little bit more hardcore, I think, even than than Sir Charles is. I have to admit. So uh, after that, uh, Lanyon, of course, like we mentioned before, played by Ian Hunter and Doctor Jekyll, they hit the head out. And Dr. Jekyll bemoans the fact that he'll have to spend his life diagnosing measles and mumps and whooping cough. Seems I must discontinue my research, spend the rest of my life diagnosing measles, mumps, and whooping cough, or encounter his serious disapproval. And so they decide to go down to the bar for a wee nip of whiskey. On the way there, they see a young lady being attacked and manhandled in a horrible manner. This is Ivy Pearson, played by Ingrid Bergman. This is very... And then in a matter yeah. of seconds, Jekyll rips the accoster away from her... And uh, the accoster. Runs. They chase him off, and they can't. They can't get him. He, he's 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 gone too fast, too far. So this is very. Yeah. Although about this time in the 1930s uh, version, yeah, is, uh, Jekyll and Lanyon are walking and talking on the street, going home from the dance. And he's, you know, Jekyll is like, you know, wait, wait, I want to strangle him. The pity I didn't strangle the old walrus. Did you hear him? Wait, wait. And he's talking about the the love, and you know, he wants to be drunk on love, and you know, he's also arguing against Lanyon's talk of borders uh, to keep uh, by using the invention by using the invention of the street lamp uh, as an example. Uh, and of course, he is interrupted by Ivy being accosted and rescuing her. The scene is uh, much longer spent on that than in this movie. Yeah, and and um, and they they chase him off. They escort Ivy back to her home. Ivy appears to be a little bit smitten by the good doctor and even though she's not too hurt, she feigns a little bit of pain so he'll take care of her a little bit. This is very similar to the other one except she she keeps mostly her clothes on. So they get back to Ivy's house and the doctor is is talked into carrying her, her up the stairs. I had this feeling from Frederick March's version that he was a little bit more you could see a little bit more uh, of the lusty eye eyes you know kind of thing but but with, with spencer tracy you can't see it as much even though he does kiss her yeah he doesn't fall for her as soon as the as frederick march as jekyll does for ivy in the 1930s right but uh, of course I, I think he's i think he's ho- ho- holding back because movie, of the code the difference with this movie other of course than playing out generally and uh being probably much longer uh, much longer due to the amount of dialogue uh, Jekyll is a bit more on the initiative at the start with, you know, you could, are you going to let down your blouse so I can look at your wounds? She laughs pretty long about him being a doctor. That's some extension. Of course, no first-person shots of looking long at the leg and uh, while taking off the the, the, the garters. The garter, yeah. Well, just mentioned the garters cutting off of circulation uh, in, the pre- in the previous movie, too. He does take it with him take it with as pays, a gift. Yeah, she pays for, you know, seeing her. Uh, with the garter, which is, uh, I believe, was not something in the 1930s. I think the garter was the, here's your payment. I give you the garter itself. Yeah, which is a, a new introduction. Of course, uh, you know, she's hurt by the fact that, that he is not falling for And immediately stops Jekyll at the door when Lanyon steps in. And in the previous one, they were both in the bed, like, about the kiss. Yeah, yeah. And then she doesn't stop him. So after Jekyll heads out, he does tell Lanyon that he is going to be nonstop in the lab until he solves this problem of evil and good. Well, don't you think you'd run less personal risk if you confined your experiments to the laboratory? That's where you'll find me from tonight on, until I get what I'm looking for. So we get him going straight into it. A, be- a montage of beakers and chemicals. Uh, while we are going sort of past that, sorry to break a little no, bit No, it's of, okay. A little bit of momentum you gained uh, was that Lanny is joking the incident was the evil winning over his soul and Jekyll blows off as an attack, uh, which is interesting 
because after this sort of uh, well, he's basically in the uh, other one. He's like, you know, so what? Uh, you know that I love her. You know, it's 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 normal. It's not. And then um, and then Lanyon is like, you know, haven't you forgotten uh, Muriel existing? And he's like, how can I forget water? Uh, but then he says, um, how can a man like when a man doesn't drink water? Uh, how could he forget? Yeah, water, it's it's using that, you know, like he yeah needs, a ter- terminology, yeah. different terminology for something like else. Yeah, which yeah he's saying that you know uh, how feel when he's denied water, then he's gonna get water somewhere else. Yeah, they they so, they, they don't really go into de- it. Being denied the water, they don't really go into um, that with the forty one yeah, version. Yeah, due the, the code, they don't say that. They kind of it kind of loses its its punch. You know, it's an attack. Uh, he actually admits, you know, that it's evil winning over his soul, but it's just an attack. In the previous one, he's like, no, nah, it's just normal. Exactly. Right. So, uh, okay, so go back to the lab. All right, back to the lab. Um, he's feeding his formula to this nasty, ill-tempered rat and this docile, calm rabbit. He finds out that the rabbit after that is ill-tempered and nasty, and the rat is lovely and docile. Uh, again, uh, Dr. Jekyll is late to whatever high society... Uh, impress the fiance situation that he was supposed to go into. I think it may have been the theater. I don't remember. But Dr. Jekyll uh, goes to the hospital with his medical kit and potion because he's like, oh, it works. The, the the formula works. But the patient he wants to give it to sadly has passed away. And this is Sam Higgins, the guy who, who uh, you know, went a little Looney Tunes in the church, right? Um, yeah. If only he had, if only he had been, uh, Dr. Jekyll had been allowed to experiment while this man was still alive. But the pesky medical establishment, you know, so on his way home, he muses that it might be a good thing to experiment on himself, but he does it in kind of a different... He, t- he talks to this a constable, police officer. If you had a balloon that could carry a man to Mars, and the pilot you had picked suddenly disappeared, would you get in the balloon yourself and cast off? I don't know that I wouldn't ever go at it. Fair enough, Mr. Weller, fair enough. Which sort of, you know, he's like, yeah, this is normal. I'm going to take that balloon that was abandoned by God and, you know, ascend to Mars. Yeah, I'm going to experiment on myself. If he had asked the cop, hey, should I experiment on myself with some kind of crazy formula? He'd be like, no, sir, don't do that. Yeah, don't trust anything that is made in a lab. It could easily be poisonous unless you're absolutely sure of it. It's even That's right, kids. That's right, kids. So he uh, he writes a note. It's almost like a, in case this all goes pear-shaped, belly up uh here's what you know he writes it basically i you know an i love you note to um his wife his fiance beatrix so he gets the formula ready he takes it uh some of the camera angles in, in these scenes are actually pretty good i could see where the good cinematography uh, award might, or nomination might come in but some of the camera shots that were in this would be would have been really good to put in the 19 19- 30s version but the 1930s version yeah that one didn't have as much you know close-ups close-up wasn't a word but in this there's montages of close-ups of the beakers uh uh of course in this scene he takes the serum he tries to take the notes vainly but then he falls to the floor he has the visions uh in the previous movie of course we see you know it was real time uh, the real time transformation yeah the real time transformation that was very good that was very good coloring was revealed by the camera to make him get darker that was yeah that was very effective and i think it did you know this one did well with some of the you know shots but they never they never did anything like they did in the previous thing even though they could probably do a better version of it now in the 40s they just kind of did this fading one thing into another. And I'm like, that's okay. 
All right. And it is sort of along the same line of, like, you know, strangeness. But in this one, it's a lot more strange and symbolic. In the previous one, it's, like, bringing up, of course, his loves, uh, his two loves, and, of course, the words that he said about strangling and uh, what General Carew said and Lanyon said about— This one is more, you know, is more uh, dreamlike. I found your contact, uh, I found your conduct dis- uh, disgusting. Positively indecent. Look where he did to me. Your conduct was disgusting. It isn't done. It isn't done. Strength. Strength. Indecent. Uh, yeah, Jekyll blew that off as an instinct in that conversation. This th- um, this but- one has a dark horse and a white horse. The dark horse is Ivy with her dark hair, and the white horse is Beatrix with her blonde hair. And he's whip- uh, he's whipping yes, both of them. Visions of water lilies rising. Yeah, uh, the girls are rising and falling into mud for some reason. Uh, whipping horses that turn into the woman. And uh, There's some... apparently what we took for breathing uh, on watch was whispers of hide, hide, according to Wikipedia, which is weird after this. But interesting thing is he, in the 1931s, he like stares at a skeleton and he goes, oh, right, I should probably make a letter uh, in case things go pear-shaped. Yeah, so... Uh, which, that was his inspiration instead of right, doing it just right. That's a, a bit funny. Yeah, so uh, now let's talk about how Hyde looks as opposed to uh how Hyde looked in the 31 version uh this one the makeup is very slight and subtle to be honest and it starts getting more pronounced as as his evil goes that also is true in the 31 version there is a a progression of the makeup it does like a deterioration of it but it starts freaky and ends freakier in the 31 version with this one it starts kind of subtle like if you saw somebody that looked like Mr. Hyde does in this movie, you'd be like, okay, you know. You- yeah, as I said before, creepy, well, but probably yeah. barring the word drunk, I said drunk, creepy hobo. I just call him a creepy <laughs> hobo because he doesn't Dr. really Jekyll and Mr. Hobo. He's more creepy. Anyone who's drunk uh, would probably be more into, So there's uh, nasty, there's the abuse, his teeth, is, uh, normal. his teeth size does go up. I think that they do put some, some packing into his, into his upper lip. Let's see, probably eye, underneath his eyes and some darkening of his eyes. Some they kind of crazy. They crazy up his hair a little bit. So after he changes, his butler Pool hears him in there, and Jekyll has to then take the potion to transform himself back. This is very similar to what actually happened in the thirty-one version. Who is it? Who is it? Who's there? Doctor Jekyll. Doctor Jekyll, sir. Is that you? Except in this movie, it's uh, a 40-second shot, which is much longer than it was in the previous, like, focused on him, to where he's, like, you know, hesitating he's going to go towards it. It's a very one-shot. There's some stuff where it's, like, there's uh, the space between the lab and the house. He's going to go toward the house, but then he hesitates and goes back, uh, and then Jiggle's there. It's much longer of a shot focused on him. Probably gives more girth toward him, you know, more space for him to transform, which probably... Maybe they were like, yeah, it makes sense from the transform in two seconds. Let's give them like thirty more seconds to change. Right. Uh, that's that's kind of uh, the the way they do the transformation. Sometimes can be kind of like, okay, come on, make it quicker. Um, so Poole is there at the back door, and he says that Miss Beatrix is at the house for some reason. It shows that she like knew something was wrong, and so she just snapped up or something i don't know so i thought i was made a note that her spidey senses went off this scene ends with him looking at himself uh but ripping the leather uh the letter as compared to straight chucking i don't remember yeah yeah he he does he does rip it up um so beatrix is concerned about jekyll and thought that maybe you know you left me for good and i think that's probably because he didn't didn't come to the theater thing 
So right after Beatrix comes in, Beatrix's father has followed her there and says, this is very inappropriate. But I'm not ashamed. Then, my dear, I shall be for you. Because I do understand. And they says that they're going to go to the continent together. In the original, they said they're going to Bath. And I think, I wonder if, they, is that in France or is that another place in England? Uh, they're Monte going Carlo. to Isla Bon. Yeah, Monte Carlo. Bon, yes. And then Isla Bon. So they, uh, not just Bath or not anywhere near Bath. They're saying Bath, England. I was looking it up just now. I said, yeah, I noted interestingly that he was uh, uh, offered sherry wine as compared to tea. In the 1930s. Oh, right, right, right. So, basically, uh, so they didn't go to Bath. They went beyond? No? Nothing? Uh, ah, boo. Okay. Yeah, hey, sorry. All right, so uh, so they're going to go to the continent, and she's going to have to leave. So Jekyll's going to be without Beatrix for a little while. He gets a note from her, and he's excited, thinking that she's going to come back. But no, they're going to another city because of Beatrix's father's health issues. He mentions uh, gout. Uh, le- Your later. princess is in another French city. Yeah, thank you. So she, pools. They should have went to Monaco, but Monaco probably wasn't invented yet. There was Monaco, yeah. It just wasn't big, uh, as it was during the fifties and sixties. So yeah, that um, was fun. So pool. <sighs> just, I wonder if pool does this in the first one, but or thirty one. But if he pool would just kept his mouth shut, not say anything, but he's like. They say there's a very interesting musical show at the Vanity Fair, sir. Very. Uh, Comical, you know, sir, and uh, very uh, daring, if you follow my meaning. And so he he's like he's like I'm not going to go. And then uh, he sees the garter that Ivy had given him as payment for helping him out earlier. And then he decides to mix up the potion. And then there's another hallucinogenic dream sequence where it looks like Jekyll is corking up a wine bottle with Beatrix inside of it and he's uncorking a wine bottle with the cork being ivy's head and there's this explosion so there's a lot of imagery here of you know of of that and he becomes hide oh yeah yes to uh on your point of pool i feel like that is different he's actively mentioning it in the uh pool in the 1931 doesn't really outright i feel like it gets to that of course this is uh the scene uh where jekyll is uh staring out the window uh, saying waiting waiting uh, in the 1931, he doesn't say anything. He goes to her. Ha- he goes to delivers the better from the letter from Bath. He refuses it. He refuses to amuse himself in London to keep up appearances. Yeah, because he's like you know, surely you could amuse yourself or something. Yeah, you haven't had tea or you haven't slept. Actually, yeah, and he well, he, uh, he goes to foot, seeing the smoke in the pipe. Uh, the kettle represents his boiling desire. Yeah, that's we talked about that explodes, last time. Yeah, and he transforms again. Uh, or he decides to transfer. Oh, he got. I know. I know how he learns. He doesn't learn about it from pool. He goes back to Ivy's house, and the landlady is there. Yeah, do you know where I can find her? If I was walking her, I'd try the Verizon Music Hall. Oh, I thank you. I thank you. <laughs> you get out. What do you take me for? And that's where he. Get, that's when he decides to go down there. He's looking for Ivy. Period. Yeah, and in, in, in this movie, Pool is like, you know, you should go to the Variety Music Hall. It's kind of uh, daring. I hate this. Yeah, it's daring. I hate to see you like this. It's comical. Jekyll agrees it's comical, but it's not wise. Uh, in the previous one, he wanted to keep up appearances. Uh, that was the words. Uh, tears up the letter on screen uh, before staring at the garter. Uh, yeah, that's that's what it. What makes him? He goes like, you know, I could see her there. So, so and, he's uh, he, he transforms. He's at the variety show theater. It's got dancers on stage. Uh, to mention yeah. uh, when he goes out in the 1931, we mentioned uh, how he's looking at the rain. He doesn't taste the rain, but he looks around exactly like March Hyde does. Yes, and the rain, to be honest, so it looked fake. Like, yeah, the rain looked fake. We, we replicated it. 
exactly he's like you know we replicated it but they didn't make him taste it because you know the uh a human hide wouldn't do that beastly hide would right that makes sense uh, so so they're at the they're at the variety show theater they got dancers there uh you know uh ivy is not singing to anyone officially she doesn't even she doesn't have her own theme yeah, song it's packed it's one levels compared to two there was a stairwell 1931's bigger stage more shots of the people in front than of the ladies dancing uh, obviously we don't get the lust element in this one really right 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 uh, so but the- ivy's bartending she's not standing around being gawked at not as iconic as the song the champagne ivy is my name yeah it's got it's got it's there, got you know. it's got you should see me dance the polka song in the 1930s it's uh, relatively small there's no bar stands on this one. right right, right. Uh, there's loony music going on no singing and of course Hyde is you know talking to the waiter he's like a bottle of champagne and reach come on in what are you staring at uh, what are you waiting for a tip eh get out uh, Bubba calls him Blighter, and he trips him and beats him further. Yeah, in uh, this no one, in this one, he goes, one. he gives him a tip. He goes, "Here's a tip for you. Do you have? Yeah, do you have family?" One, he gives him a tip. He gives him. A he tip. still trips. He, tri- he still trips him. He still trips him. He doesn't beat him. Uh, you know, seven shillings. Right, uh, right, right. right. And, you know, skips away happily. Uh, the butler does. He doesn't call him Blighter. Uh, but then he beats him. He doesn't continue uh, to beat him with the stick. He just trips him. Uh, and then he goes, you know, what's a pity? You are thinking of the children, no doubt. Uh, yes. That, girl, that barmaid, bring me some champagne. I am that girl, that barmaid, bring me some champagne. I don't think you understood what I said. Uh, in the previous one, um, he says, uh, you tell that wunching brat to come here and have a wine with me. Wow. It's a lot rougher. It is a lot, it is uh, a lot rougher. But I, th- I think the fact that he wants her to bring him uh, champagne is, is, a, is a nod to that she used to be called Champagne Ivy. Yeah, but it's just bubbly. Uh, she says in this. That's that's, cha- that's another word for champagne. So uh, the, she doesn't have her own theme song, but she does uh, sing. You should see me dance the polka. You should see me uh, cover the ground. That actually, the second time I watched this movie, I heard that song come back again. Not not when Ivy is forced to sing it, but another situation. And, I, and I'll, I'll mention that when it comes up. So Hyde comes on a little too weird and strong and says, "You deserve better than that rat trap you live at." Uh, but of course. He said, "Oh yeah, well to compare, uh, 1930s, you know, she struck pink." This is indeed a great honor. I noticed you as you came in, my dear. There, I said to myself, "It's too pretty a girl to waste on such a companion." Oh, but you are pretty, and what a figure, my dear! What a figure! And then he toasts her beauty, but she wants to leave, so she brings up that pigsty in Diadem Court. You call that home? That pigsty of yours in Batman's court? Sty, is it? You come off that. Oh, I like you when your temper's up, my dear. Uh, how do you know where I live? How do you know where I live? I saw you on the street and followed you. Ah, oh, my pretty, you deserve better. You ought to live in a place worthy of you. Buckingham Palace, I suppose. Uh, he offers silk clothes, bracelets, champagne. And how am I to get it? How do you think you're gonna get it, my bright little bird? Uh-oh. He says, hey, I'm code. no gentleman, no, but I have money. Well, he's got, he calls her a bird in the 1930s. No, I mean, uh, I'm I meant to... Uh, no, yeah. but I have money. Perhaps my looks don't please Well, you ain't no beauty. Quite right. I am no beauty. Perhaps you prefer a gentleman, eh? One of those fine-mannered, virtuous, and honorable gentlemen. One of those canting hypocrites who like your legs but talk about your gutter. What are you talking about? Oh, my poor little innocent. 
It doesn't know what I'm talking about, eh? Uh, and then fights, uh, is about to fight a man, uh, and then physically blocks Ivy from leaving. Forgive me, my dear. You see, I hurt you because I love you. I want you. What I want, I get. Grant, you know, uh, I am no beauty, but under this exterior, you'll, you'll find a uh, very... Flower of a man. man, right. Yes, and you know... I love you, you understand? But in the 1940s, comparing again, you know, the script, a lot of Hyde just staring at Ivy as she's pouring the tea instead of starting it right off. And then uh, gives a sovereign instead of half a, a sovereign instead of half a quid as the payment. She's like, thanks, tries to leave, but Hyde prevents. She's like, oh, but you're not going. Oh, no, no. <laughs> After all, you, you brought two glasses. Two minds with but a single thought. <laughs> My, what a what? nice beginning. Then he starts on the topic of her voice. Oh, I, I like your singing. You must sing again for me sometime. Which is added foreshadowing. Uh, this leads to complimenting the prettiness. Where did you get such a pretty voice? Perhaps it's the pretty place it comes from, huh? <laughs> he toasts to luck instead of beauty. I make my own luck, my dear. And then Hyde replies, yes, and tonight I follow the rainbow. Tonight I follow the rainbow. Perhaps we should follow it together. I follow it right home, mister. To that rat trap. Hey, what are you calling names? Uh, well, I, I think you deserve something better. How do you know where I live? Well, I, I can't imagine. Surely your wages here don't, don't earn you a place in Barclay Square. Uh, she tries to leave, but he doesn't let her. Uh, so the conversation is much shorter. Obviously, much more of his spent staring. Right. And, uh, you know, the language he uses is much different. You know, the, the rainbow stuff, he's like being cryptic. I guess. Yes. As compared to the 1931's language, which is much different. It's much more, much more overt, and you know, giving hints that you know, I, I've I've been at your apartment before. I know about the garter and all this kind of stuff. And he's making throwing shade at at, at his Jekyll side. Exactly. So the, there is a he try he, he starts a brawl with other bar goers. <laughs> Him. He insulted. He's lying. I tell you, don't pay no. He, he tried to break her arm. He, 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 he tried to break her arm. You will, eh? And then he also he makes these false claims. To, Game. He makes these false claims with her boss to pay pays her off to pays him off to fire her. A great man can always change his mind uh, for a reason. Uh, uh, yes, sir. Why? Why? Uh, certainly, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, a troublemaker. That's what she is. Out she goes. I don't. I yes, don't remember that thing. in the, in the that 30s. That was not in the 1930s version. Right. So he waits outside. She gets fired. He and comes out, and he oh he's he's there to rescue her. He's in the carriage, and he says, "Oh, I'll take you home." Oh, well, how fortunate I'm here. I'd like to help you. Oh, just get me back in there. I can bash him with the nose. That's all. And he says that he's talking about the nectar of the gods, the ancient songs of pleasure, and putting Athena and Diana to shame when going to his house. Uh, she belongs to the immortals. And don't be frightened of me, will you, Ivy? When a botanist finds a rare flower, he shouts his triumph, doesn't he? And then when she's like, yo, you're really weird, he says, oh, she doesn't know what I'm talking about, which is interesting because in the previous we heard it. Yeah. Uh, doesn't know what I'm talking about. Right, right, right. My poor little innocent. It doesn't know what I'm talking about, eh? And he does take advantage. The, the, he, he what does... is he talking about? Like Athena and stuff in the rainbow is like, it, well, it's, it's much Myth, It's very mythological. And... He's he's like, you know, very epic with his language. A little, little too much. And he does take advantage of her because they, they go to black. They fade to black like a lot of uh, Hayes Code pictures did. Okay, so the next scene is on the continent, a.k.a. where I guess it's uh, in, uh, in France or whatever, where Beatrix and her father are. And he's getting better from the gout. 
Beatrix gets a letter, not from Henry Jekyll, but from Lanyon. Uh, he says, I don't know why you haven't heard back from Henry, but I'll I'll check on him. Beatrix's father... She disguises it as, you know, housing, uh, because she's using the newspaper, housing in the East End. I have never seen such deplorable housing conditions. Surely the city father should find funds to Because Because the, the dad, yeah, the dad asks, you know, so what did Henry say? And she's like, oh, nothing. He's talking about housing conditions. And he's like... He doesn't well, say that's anything. very that's very it's good, very good. good of him. Maybe he's getting better. He's not using the love languages. Yeah, he's 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 more about you know society and and you know he's he's uh, he's more uh, uh he's talking about you know society's morals and everything like that. That that's kind of like he's going oh he's very standard now, you know. And then like okay, then we get to Ivy's house, which has the same basically the same layout as 1930s pretty much uh without all the statues and paintings of like uh uh, cupid and psyche and stuff that is the symbolism doesn't have that she she Um, gets a knock on the door but it's not who it was in the 1931 version that was like the uh, landlady landlady. yeah but it's mar it's Um, marcia her friend instead it's marcia her friend and i think there's another dude who comes later yes that's that's marcia's boyfriend i think marcia's boyfriend uh which as i know makes her feel less alone than she was uh, or a bit less alone than she ever was in uh, with just the landlady. Yeah, with the landlady, it feels like she doesn't have any friends except for male male guys who are going to lavish money on her for uh for reasons. Let's just say that. Yeah, in this case, Marsha's like, let's go out, uh, you know, join a quartet and go to the Empire, which is it probably a, probably a, a club or a bar. And she changed clothes. Get out of that that dress that you're in. Don't you have something nicer? And she's changing her dress, and 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 Marcia, she Marcia, notices the scars. That doesn't that doesn't that happen in. Uh, she's like, oh, the brute, uh, but then Hyde enters. Doesn't that happen in in the thirty one version? Is that the land yes, landlady notices the scars? Yes, basically. You see how I got these scars? You know how I got these scars? Uh, so, uh, like you said, Edward Hyde comes in. Well, aren't you going to introduce me to our charming visitor? He seems to be interested in Marcia now that he sees her. It's Marcia. This is my friend, Mr. Hyde. You heard me speak about him, haven't you? Oh, yes, Marcia. I've heard a great deal about you. He's like, I never gave a... He says it would be interesting, the three of us in friendly conversation, which is creepy. Uh And so Marcia forces her way out, pours some wine in front of the mirror. The interesting thing is Hyde is beginning the conversation with, are you worried that I'll become interested in Marcia? Which is interesting. It's some jealousy talk. He's trying to get some jealousy going. I think think what he says is, is I'm, I might be going, and he's trying to prepare her for when he might turn back into Jekyll. And, and you know, I might be going sometimes. And she's like, "Oh, oh, really? Which is very, which is the same thing that happened in the 31 version. Is she's She's like looking like she's kind of happy that he's leaving, and he's going, oh, it's sad that I'm leaving, you know, and it, it's very similar. I've got bad news for you, my dear. Very bad. I, uh, I'm going away for a few days, and upon my word, if you don't seem pleased. Supposing I had to take a trip from time to time. You, you mean soon? Well, now I don't know. Oh, oh you mustn't look so worried. It won't be for a long, long time. These lines are very similar in these in this part. Oh yeah, uh, he starts with uh, "spit out your real feelings that you hate me." You hate me, don't you? I'm not good enough for you. I'm not a nice, kind gentleman like that nice, kind gentleman who was so good to look at and so cowards, weaklings. Bullies her into saying she does love him, uh, or that she doesn't hate him, so therefore she loves him. 
uh, and as he holds her, she, uh, he reveals he's going away. But pleasure is brief in this world, my sweet. And yours is most uncertain because you don't know when I'll be back, do you? You belong to me. And if you do one thing that I don't approve of while I'm gone, the least little thing, mind you, I'll show you what horror means. Which is that's yeah, that's scarier than I mean this the the hide and f- yeah, he's much scarier. You know, he's creepier. I, I mean, even though the other one's creepy, it's just this, the other one is just you. you you could see him like eating somebody. It just that's what. Although diff- the conversation goes differently in an equal way, which interesting. I'm such a tease, aren't I? Such a tease. Ah, what a lucky man I am to be loved this way. He nonchalantly grabs a grape, and the previous one was a crumpet. Brings up leaving for a while, much more immediately than he does in the previous. Uh, he sits down. He says, "But supposing I did have to leave you for a while." Leave, sir? When? I'm not saying when. I said suppose. They say that the Empire and such places they are do? ever... Who does? Well, Marsha, sir. She says it's ever so so gay. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, we can go, can't we? Uh, he ignores the request, basically, and says, let's go to Albert Hall instead. And so she's like, he's actually going to let me out. Let me go get my things. He says, don't hurry, because we aren't going. Right. He's he's, te- he's, he's, <laughs> he's teasing her and then pulling back. And then tease and then pull back. And he finally is like, oh, we'll, we'll be here. You know, what are we going to do? We're going to play cards. And so instead, read a he's, book, he's, uh, we're going to play cards. Sing for me. Uh, you've already played that. Yeah, then we could read Paradise Lost to me, but we don't yeah, have any Which, books which I think Paradise Lost was Sing a, was a hint to that he likes Lucifer. Uh, this was as he, he was uh, playing piano. He just jumped straight to his uh, her piano. She screams refusal and he corners her to the wall. Sing it gaily. I, I can't, truly, I can't. Sing it with deep compassion. Please, I don't ask Or loving kindness. Smile as you sing. A prima donna is born. Let's show her her with our kids. Which, more interesting little tidbits in this, which is yeah, but you, but you, but you, you notice he starts playing the You Should See Me Dance the Polka, like, on the piano, like, very nicely. He's like, he starts, he changes from whatever he's playing into, into the po- yeah, polka. Yeah, like, we're not going walks yeah. up to the piano and starts playing he ta- that he's he, mad. He, they fade to black so which means he's taking advantage of her again then Hyde is heading home to Jekyll's and he takes out his key and goes in the back door turns back into Jekyll Poole brings Jekyll a telegram from Beatrix and her father which says they're most likely coming home and upon learning that he vows not to take the serum again he destroys the key to the street entrance of the laboratory. and Yeah, in the 1930s, he just chucks the key, and it's just somehow gone, I guess. So Wow. The, so the other one is... L- this one he, actually he actually destroys it. it. He melts it down, yeah. He sends a hand-delivered letter via the butler. The previous one, it was pool. Uh, in this one, it's a mailboy. He's like, you know, a uh, letter-free governor. Right, okay, okay. The, like the, ma- the mailboy delivers it to Ivy's house, and the other one was pool, pool yes. hand-delivered it. Pool hand-delivered it to the post office. Right. So uh, Marsha and her boyfriend visit Ivy, and while they're there, the letter from Jekyll with an anonymous gift of money comes to the door. Okay, and Ivy is in dire straits about what to do. Should she delete herself? She talks about going down to the river. That's what that means. Well, if I could only do it, I'd go down to the river. If she spends the money to run away, Hyde will find out it'll be even worse for her. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, there are some differences with the script, so it's used okay. the famous Dr. Jekyll. Well, I'm the one you and... You and your friend took home that night. Huh? I feel like that's a bit different. What brings you here? Are you ill? There. That's what. Look at that. Pretty, ain't it? That's her scars. She reveals her scars. You see a thing like that, I'll get you lotion. Lotion? It won't be lotion that'll do the trick, sir. It's more than that. I need help. I do. I can't stand it anymore. It's Hyde, sir. It's a man I know, Mr. Hyde. 
It's him that's done it and more. That goes basically. Well, that, like that's that's name. that's. It's a man I know. Mister Hyde is a new line. Uh, it's him that's done it more. I can't tell you. He ain't human. He ain't a human. It's a beast. And he won't let me go, sir. And I, I'm afraid to run away. Uh, then he brings up Marsha and Freddy, the boyfriend. Well, they say it's my nerves, and they say that you know about such things and that you could help. That's new. I can't help and think no more. She doesn't bring up drowning herself, which was a detail in the previous one. I've tried to drown myself, but I can't. Uh, she just talks about, you know, giving me poison so I can kill, uh, kill myself. Well, she says that She uh, says that too when she meets with yeah, Jiggle, Jekyll. Yes. Jiggle's like, uh, why don't you get try to try to get help, go to police. Tell you I'm afraid. No, he, he, he ain't a man. He's a devil. He is. Why, he knows what you are thinking about. He does. Why, if he knows that I've been here today, I don't know what he'll do with Want me nothing human I could do. Which is sort of along the same exact words. Pretty much, oh, yeah. Please help me, help me keep him off. I'll do anything you ask, sir. Uh, he doesn't. Uh, she doesn't speak about slavery either, uh, as in the 1930s. God be your slave. And then, of course, I ain't bad looker myself. But she says, men say that I, I ain't a bad looker when I'm more myself. Which is extra padding, which is interesting. Right. Probably softening a little. Uh, she's not saying that she's a bad looker. She says men say, uh, when I'm more myself. You liked me once, didn't you? You're a fine kind of gentleman. And then new lines. Honest that night when you walked out of my place, I made as if I didn't care. I did care. After you kept gone, I wish you'd come back. Surely I did. And then we go into Hyde says, or Jekyll says, this man Hyde will never trouble you. I give you my word. She's like, how do you know? He'll come back and kill me. No, he won't come back. I'll see to it. Uh, you don't know him, sir. He ain't human. He ain't. I give you my word. You'll never see him again. You must believe me. And so that goes basically that way too. Basically that same way as and, the previous and there's a, except those lines. There's a party later that night, and uh, it's to announce the officially announce the actual uh, nuptials marriage of. Oh yeah, because he was like, you know, you can actually marry now. In the previous movie, he's you know quoting like Romeo and Juliet, uh, you know, the standing on the misty mountaintops. Part and you know walking through the tall rooms he, he plays the organ like happily it wastes some of the time and he goes like hey sir you know there's uh, uh ivy's here i believe that's how that went down yes yes but yeah you can see him he has much more joy in this one he's just whistling away as he's going toward his marriage but wait but wait the 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 thing is uh he's 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 going to the party there's a couple things that are are missing so the first thing is that's different is he's whistling just a just a normal tune and it starts turning in. In the previous one, he was like walking home. He's like talking about Romeo and Juliet, and he's like, "Oh, uh, I'm so happy." Versus this one, he's just merely whistling. Yeah, he's walking towards the party. He's whistling. You should. It starts changing into. You should see me dance the polka. He Oh, well, that's I listened to it again, and I was like, wait a minute. It sounds like he's whistling, you should see me dance the polka. And he, and he notices... Yeah, which he starts... He notices... He starts hesitates. to sing something, uh, do something else. And then he starts to transform. Uh, in the previous one, he quotes odes to Nightingale to a bird in a in a park. With a cat. A cat to... is attacking it. Thou wast not born for death, the immortal bird. No hungry generations tread thee down. Thou wast not born for death. And then a cat attacks it, and he transforms, and then he runs in the park off to be. Off to, to uh, well, the, oh, no, to, to, it was uh, 
Muriel's light for Muriel's wedding, and he heads heads off to Ivy's immediately. Yes, he does. Instead, uh, yeah. Ivy is you know here's to helping Hyde rots where he is or uh, burns terribly. She drinks in front of the mirror. Hyde walks in. He confronts her about Jekyll, her lover is death she runs she's counting on the couch he reveals who he is that he is i am jiggle uh and he's like i don't think he says i am jiggle in the 41 version though yes no it goes a little more subtle that in him you saw a bit of me Hide. Yeah, in the previous one, she doesn't drink. She has a lower mumbly voice. Uh, she didn't really drink much of it on the screen. Right. As she did in the 1931. Hyde starts with, are you surprised I'm here? Uh, she addresses that you've been drinking. Perhaps see a doctor. Jekyll's a good, uh, Jekyll's a good man. Go see him. So that's interesting. In the previous one, of course, he immediately confronts her about Jekyll. Yeah, yeah. And then this one, he, he kind of... Uh... He kind of makes fun of her. He kind of addresses the present first. He, may, he, may, he makes fun of her for falling in love with Doug. Doug. What do you think he's going to do? Uh, get, ever end up with somebody like you? Dance and dream. Dream that you're Mrs. Henry Jekyll of Harley Street. Dancing with your own butler and six footmen. Again, it's a Cinderella kind of... He says... And then it's and then instead of revealing that he is uh, Jekyll, instead in this movie, he goes, you know, uh, you were standing there, you thought that uh as after you were talking your your cheap little dreams yeah you thought that he might have seen a little bit of hide uh in jekyll and uh that's a big difference he does strangle her he does strangle her to death he does strangle her uh to death but uh he jumps over the landing to block her in both movies which is iconic in the 1931 i noted there's my darling my little bride isn't hide a lover after your own heart believe he says too much of that in the previous in the this movie, right but i didn't make uh I've, i stopped making notes after this well um uh, he bolts yeah. the people are suspicious of him bolting he jumps down a flight uh, i believe it doesn't i think it's a i think it's a, a stunt guy it, it does it looks like somebody a little bit more and then he runs down the street briefly with the rest of it walking uh he doesn't isn't able to get into his house and so he knocks on the door pool doesn't let him in uh, and then the wedding is over, and General Crew won't let him see him again. That same thing happened. Uh, How does it play out in this? Point? Well, after after killing her, Hyde is able to escape, but without his back door lab key, Pool disallows him from entering the front door of the house. So he goes over, and it shows, well, it shows of course, Beatrix and her father are disappointed that Doctor Jekyll was absent from the dinner party. Sorry, Mister Hyde steals what looks like, I guess, paper and pen from like a store. He go, uh, he writes a note. Lanyon goes to Jekyll's place to see what going on and Hyde is desperate to revert back to Dr. Jekyll so he leaves a written note for Dr. Lanyon to instruct him to get vials of chemicals from the lab take them back home and give them to a courier aka Mr. Hyde so, and he says in the name of heaven don't fail me Harry of course that means Henry when Hyde or, Hyde arrives Dr. Lanyon is concerned and asks some questions and stuff like that he's like but uh, Hyde is impatient very dismissive of the questions he just wants the vials he steals them from Lanyon and Lanyon pulls a gun on him and Hyde just t- just decides to take the potions in front of Dr. Lanyon he warns him about what he's getting himself into he, and it but probably changes. not as much as he did in 1931 he that, confesses that a lot of to a lot more stuff yeah do you want to be left as you are or do you want your eyes and your soul to be blasted by a sight that would stagger the devil himself so many iconic lines in 1931 like so much of that movie i remember it's just more iconic and in this one 
probably due to, maybe due to recency, but it's, it's just not as memorable in general. I do, uh, of course, say that there's that classic image of a, a man bolting down the Victorian streets in black cape, cane, and hat. Yeah, um, and I thought that those, those were really well done, but they're just, they're over so quickly. So Jekyll, you know, confesses, and he said, and he says that, that he's going to visit Beatrix. He visits Beatrix, and he basically ends their engagement. The big difference between the 31 one that I remember is the, is the, the 31 one was more dramatic. I mean, he was saying things like, you know, uh, penance and per- purgatory so more... and sin. Yes. I give you up because I love you so. This is my proof. This is my penance. Do you hear, oh God? This is my penance. Flowery language everywhere, even as Hyde. Uh, he has the mannerisms that calling the bird and the dissociation and the stuff that doesn't appear in this one. He's just a starer, I guess. Yeah, and he, and he, he just kind of, he just stares straight ahead and says we can't be, we can't be married. I must never see you it's interesting comparing the ways that they go about things. Yeah, and and I and I have to say that Frederick March yeah, is going it, for it. He, I mean, he he is. Yeah, Frederick March in this one, he goes up to Ivy and he's like, you know, this is my penance. I've oh, yo, you mean uh, you mean to Muriel? To Muriel? To Muriel? Yeah. Yes, but in this one, he doesn't say like Jack Squat to be. Yeah, he's very like we just can't. And 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 she says, uh, you don't love me, do you? And, and he does hug her and says, oh, you do love me. You're trying to keep me from being hurt. Now the trick is that he leaves, she's crying, and as he's going out the door, uh, he goes out He goes out the door and then it shows him come back in. You think it's Dr. Jekyll, but it is Mr. Hyde. He's tur- he, her crying has made him transform back. She screams before losing consciousness and her father, hearing the scream, he comes back outside. He gets bludgeoned to death by Hyde with uh, with Jekyll's cane, of course. Hyde flees back to the laboratory and he can't enter the, the street door, but he pushes past Jekyll's uh, butler pool and knocks him to the ground. The police investigate Beatrix's father's body. Um, Lanyon arrives and he goes, okay, I know that cane. That's Jekyll's. That's I, I know whose cane that is. Follow me. He knows that Jekyll committed the crime while he was Mr. Hyde. So Lanyon convinces the the police to accompany him over to Jekyll's home. And in the laboratory, Jekyll reverts to normal. So a lot of this is starting to c- come back to what happened in the, in the 31 version. The authorities come in, he's Dr. Jekyll, and they're like, oh, well, I guess we'll, we'll we got to go look for that guy Hyde. He's not in this room. And he, and, and Lanyon stops him and says, there's your man. In the 31 version, it's a little bit more interesting because I, th- I think, because he points right at us. I remember, I remember mentioning this to you uh, when we did the review of 31. Yeah. Is it felt like I don't know. Maybe I was reading into it, but he was pointing at us saying, there's your man. It's basically saying, uh, I, I took that to mean that there's a hide in, in, in every one of you people out there in the theater. There. There he is. There's your man. That's what I said. And uh, maybe I'm reading into it, but that's just why these, you know, a lot of that first person viewpoint in the 31 thing stuck with me a lot more, including that part. But again, they have a little fight and um, he gets shot and he starts turning back into Dr. Jekyll. There's a part where when he's turning into from Jekyll to Hyde and he's going, I'm, I'm Henry Jekyll. Um, and he says it again and again and they keep doing this fade off. And it's just he's, just, he's just standing there. I've done nothing. I'm Dr. Jekyll. I'm Dr. Henry Jekyll. I've done nothing. I'm Dr. Jekyll. I'm Dr. Henry Jekyll, I tell you. 
I've done nothing. You're looking for a man named Hyde. Hyde. That's one of the things it's I would have loved to have in the, the 1930s. The change was too slow. They had the symbolism of the fire burning him. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Honestly, the transformations uh, weren't as cool as the original movie, uh, but they definitely weren't felt way longer because there's less progress made in comparison. Because, uh, you know, the 1930s, you can see him transforming into a beast. There's much more contrast of appearance between that and just hobo man yeah and and and, and the makeup with Hyde does get worse and worse his teeth get kind of nastier looking but it is more apparent in the night in the 1930s oh oh yeah his his eyelids scratching his, his eyelids are painful. like yeah that, again I don't his eyelids I don't know the ending surprised me a lot because just this movie like has Lanyon quoting like the Bible with chorus music like dramatic they're saying what Lord is Excuse my shepherd me? I shall not want Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. You know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He lies me down in the green pastures and... Uh, you know, why? Now, but but well, that's the, why well, that that's the uh, why that verse. It's like a, um, was like Psalm one fifteen or something. Psalm twenty four. Uh, uh, twenty four Psalm. Uh, no, here here's the thing about here's the thing about that is what hit me is I went okay. It started with with a church and religious, and it ends with you know something you say over the dead to consign consign chorus, them to heaven and a heavenly chorus like Allah like uh, things to come. But, The first one, it led me to believe, yeah, he's dead, but he's, he's burning in hell. Burn in the double hockey sticks. In this one, he's going to heaven still. Well, that's the thought because 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 they're st- they're they're consigning his I mean, soul to heaven. Like the code was like you know punish the criminals like justly uh, because they don't have them like get away with the crimes really. But that he gets to heaven anyway is like what? What is that saying? I, what does that mean? I don't, I don't know. Go like, I think Wait, they is were there something they're trying to tell us more instead of like what they said with the or what they didn't say really with the nineteen. They uh, yeah, they did not go into any detail. No, but again, I I liked the the thirty one version because for many many different reasons. But one of them was that I I was thinking about the the kettle overflowing and you know, bubbling over, and I'm like. You know, oh, you know that 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 kettle is him. You know, and and also it the the yeah, flames he, he of fire of is very hellish. Yeah, and I mean the only one part where he does have a temper with uh, Doctor Heath. You know, the bull is out of the china shop. He is much better after he gets fresh air. Yeah, and and to be honest, I mean Spencer Tra- Spencer Tracy did see uh, his version later, and he he he's was like, that's that's the worst job I've ever done. Um, he said that you know that he's it's the worst acting he's ever had. And to be, I can, yeah. it's not that bad, but I can sort of see where he's coming from. Well, he he's he's played in uh he's he's played much better parts, and and when he later gets in, into those screwball comedies with Catherine Hepburn. Justice, I mean, that's usually reserved for men. The same unwritten law that got Lenahan off. Would you I know please, what you're going to say. Please, that he should have been convicted just, too, just but he wasn't. And you're I not going to put this just poor skull away just because she had the misfortune more. to be born a just female. Just one word in it. Wise, couldn't what? I? Could I please get a word in it, wise? Well, go ahead. Not one civil. Not 
one syllable of you're what so you have been blabbering here tonight. You always do that when you get excited. He he really it, he shows an aptitude for that kind of that comedic way of of acting. I hate to say it, but he yeah he has he has dramatic chops. I'll agree, but I seem to remember him more in those parts because he just he seems to he seems to be better I at it. I just don't get why they had to hide and burn away the original movie because the original movie is so much more iconic. This movie doesn't really have much iconic. Well, thank you, thank you for somebody for key of the man bolting down the Victorian streets, which again you could sort of get with you know Jack the Ripper, but Jack the Ripper probably didn't run as much as what as what as what as much this image. Yeah, and and the thing the thing is though that there there was never really any story of chasing him physically. They always that the the story of Jack the Ripper. They always would find his his crime scenes after the fact, and there's many different theories about who. There's a whole podcasts on who Jack the Ripper might have been, and and it's really and when they talk about what this guy did uh, in his crimes, it's it's pretty rough. But to be honest, uh, it may be something we'll never truly solve. And and again, if Jack the Ripper it's exists, he's dead. Unsolved. He's dead. If Jack the Ripper ever existed, he's dead by now. Come on, seriously. Yeah, he's the 1850s. Like, what you expect him to be like? Yeah, probably like 200 years old. Yeah, yeah. And, and to, Still. to be honest, this movie was entertaining in bits, but the movie that sticks in my brain and doesn't really let go is the Frederick March version. And if you can catch that, that one, like, you that's know, the one to watch. wolfiness about his appearance. Oh, and why are, you, are you segueing into the next episode? Yes, the next episode will be my dad's, uh, one of my, or at least probably my dad's, like, top three. It's one of my uh, favorites. I, Frankenstein, Dracula, Dracula, and the Wolfman are probably his top three in in no order. Yes, in no particular order. I've, his top I three like the Wolfman. It's movies. very favorite. He loves the Wolfman. It's one of his favorites, and I haven't seen it yet. Ah. You know, the, you know, the great, you know, tales of, you know, the wolves and the shooting with the silver and, like, the wolves' bane and the, uh, the, the, the you know, the gypsy people out in the, uh, the, the grassy, like, the forest. Yeah. Stuff. I don't know. The villages. And the of, curse, uh, a like, curse, and, you know, yeah. And and what we what we expect when we see, like, a wolf man. I mean, that's, that's what this movie is all about. This, a lot of the, uh... You know, accusing people of being werewolves. Yes, you know, all that stuff, all that atmosphere. Now, it wasn't the it wasn't the in that next episode. It wasn't the original. Of course, we did. You know, we're gonna gonna be uh, comparing a lot of Werewolf of London London to this. Yeah, Werewolf of London was the originator of a lot of it. It was, but this one is the iconic one that people remember more. To be honest. Yes, but we will be getting to it, and uh, we've covered. Uh, we're probably not going to do any more like Jekyll and Hyde stuff. So yeah, these these two episodes, the, the one in season one and this one, uh, recommend you probably see the one in season one uh, if you haven't already. It'll sort of put a, you know a basis for what we're context, talking about. yeah, context. Uh, but yeah, it doesn't sound as great as we do now because of course we've improved. Uh, just so you know, but yeah. This was, uh, we, we did this, and there are lots of in- interesting comparisons. And, you know, Jekyll and Hyde is just something, uh, especially 1931, is very iconic to me. Uh, I remember a lot of it myself. But there's just, it's it's just all of this, you know, stigma we've d- digged into, and we're going to have to leave it behind. Yeah, and, and, to, and to be honest, I mean. We've been going on for long enough. <laughs> we've been going on for quite a while, and we want to you know leave you with that, that, you know, even though that there may be remakes uh, that are actually really, really good, um, and you know, if you if we if if we want to talk, let's let's next next uh, in this we'll one, talk it about that later. On its yeah. own right, but it can't really escape. It doesn't compare. 
more than it do, it doesn't super compare. I mean, it can stand on its own two feet, and it is pretty good, but it's not as good or as iconic in our minds, or at least my mind. And if you want to, if you want to, uh, when we get together next episode, um, I'll have some more information for you about remakes um, that I wanted to to bring to your attention. Uh, sure. So you want to uh, conclude us off? Yep. I want you guys to have a good, uh, good day, a good afternoon, a good night. Don't give in to your evil side. Keep it at bay. <laughs> Keep it, keep it hidden. Oh, that the pun oh. doesn't really work. hiding inside. I was worried that if I just said hidden, then it would have lost a pun. But whatever. Uh, Afuita Zen, guys. I said Afuita Zen last segment, but Afuita Zen still. Works. It does. It uh, does. You know. Sayonara. Sayonara. And, uh, sayonara. Yep. Afuita Zen. <laughs> Bye. Off we go away hiding. Yes. Don't forget to open your third eye and telepathically message us at cinefanpod at gmail.com. Set your chronoscope dial to the future setting and peruse cinematicfanpodcast.wordpress.com. Hunker over your ham radio as your keen ears listen for the ghostly voices tweeting on our Twitter at cinematicfanta1. Exchange all of your money into Republic credits and donate at our Patreon page at patreon.com slash cinefanpodcast ending transmission now.